0: Hey hey, this is Post Edit Dan. And this is part two of the unbelievable extended extra long episode 7. I hope you enjoy. Oh and don't forget, this has been recorded in end of August, so it's not that up to date.
1: So, Ben, let's talk about Skirmish Sangin.
2: someone say Skirmish Sangin? Oh,
3: Jesus. You opened Pandora's yeah. box.
2: <laughs> I have returned. You have summoned me by saying the words <laughs> Skirmish Sangin, yeah. as was foretold in the, past, in the last time I appeared on the podcast.
1: Ben, I told you you should yeah. not light up the
0: candles next to the mirror.
3: Yeah, you know, I should really take your advice more seriously. <laughs> but, you know, like when you whisper... Michael charge, Michael charge, Michael charge. <laughs> like, you don't really expect him to appear. Yeah. He's here, so I guess we're going to do this thing.
2: I usually try to ignore like the main summonings, but I do turn up when you say, like, special interests.
3: That's smart, because I, I would definitely abuse that power. You would be hanging out with me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so Skirmish Sangin, what is Skirmish Sangin?
2: Okay, so uh, Skirmish Sangin is an moderns rule set. Made by uh, Radio Dish Dash, which is a company from New Zealand. Um, and it is a kind of section plus attachments level rule set. So, kind of very much focused on the individuals versus whole squads or whatever. So, kind of you're very limited to that small scale. But uh, what it means is that by giving up the, the size, you sort of gain this real focus on each soldier being an individual character. We sort of can make the games very, very interesting and a lot more sort of cinematic and narrative-driven um, rather than necessarily something you sort of play to win or whatever. It's more playing to see how the, the scenario pl- uh, rolls out. Um, it's kind of actually... It does actually have a, um, a a role-playing game background in that it's originally based off RuneQuest. I think I mentioned this mm-hmm. when I first appeared. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's based on the old sort of D100-based system. So that yes. means you're rolling percentile dice checks. So it's quite intuitive in that sense to work out just how well a, a role is likely to do based on just basic percentages yeah um past the, the main comment about it is i think that um scary is kind of one of the very very first ultra modern rule sets that was specifically ultra modern um because it came out back in 2013 Where I think around the same time the main other rule sets was things like Force on Force, which obviously at that time was being supported by Osprey. It was getting the books, which are now going for like small fortunes on various eBay sites and and secondhand stores. So it's kind of that is it's it's one of the very first games I think that kind of brought ultra moderns to the forefront of what it is, especially for for lots of people who currently play.
3: Yeah, and you know besides charge blog i really couldn't find a lot of media you know or any coverage on it like i went on youtube and you know i didn't do a really deep search like i probably normally would but you know i just did a cursory search and i saw some people reviewing the rules and it was a couple years old there's a couple small videos here and there but there's not a lot of people putting out media um you know why do you think that is
2: Uh, i think a big chunk of that's down to the age um it is a i say it's the old it's an old game it's also a game where I think a lot of people, you either get it or you don't. You either kind of understand the style of the game is, kind of learn your way into the rules, um, understand some of its little weirder little moments, um, and then once you're sort of through that initial learning barrier, you then jump into fully understanding it. Uh, and for a lot of people, you know, if you if you go and check sort of modern miniatures um, group on Facebook or if you look around, it's a lot of people don't really like it. Um, a lot of people are more interested in playing games like Force on Force, like Spectre, that are a little simpler to get into. Um, Ooh. <laughs> well, what? I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't say. I mean, it's it's nah. it's horse. It's it's China Command versus Bolt Action. It's black powder versus sharp practice. It's all of these. Like you're here for a game where you want to like you know play it relatively quickly, relatively easy to understand, or you want to sort of make it that full experience. Um, I find. The main thing I think I've said in the past is that I've never had a bad game of skirmish sand game. Um, I've never had a game where I've started playing it and gone, oh, I don't didn't really enjoy that two hours I spent, like ninety minutes or however long. Um, while with things like Spectre, I've definitely had games that sort of you play it and it's over in thirty minutes, and you're like, well, that was uh, thirty minutes of my life gone. I'll get that back at some <laughs> point, but it won't be won't be soon.
3: Yeah, your militia getting their teeth kicked in or something. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's it's kind of it's that whole. Difference of even even when you're doing poorly, and it, it can still feel exciting and interesting to play. Um, so it's it's very definitely it's it's one of those games that sort of has appealed to me at a deep level, and I think it is because it is down to that whole narrative focus, um, that whole you know your your force each person. Even it takes you longer to build up said force because you have to roll for each each of them like for an RPG character. It does then help to have a bit of attachment to them above and beyond just this guy's a professional, or this guy's this. It's like, well, this guy's a professional, but he's got a really good shooting skill, but his initiative rolls real low. So, like, he's a bit a He's not, not the fastest guy, in, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, but he is going to be pretty good at shooting people when it comes down to it.
3: Sure, sure.
0: I like that. Makes it way more human, because we uh, are not
1: in every aspect perfect. So, you cannot just have, like, gradually when your skill gets higher, then you're in all, um, uh, not topics, but like stats. Specialized, uh, yeah. yeah. And it's pretty cool, actually.
2: Yeah. So, so one of the, I mean, it, it comes across both in the original game, but also in some the, in the newer version. Um, it's quite possible to have people of a lower, lower skill level. So let's say a, an average actually have better skills than someone of a higher experience level. So you could have a veteran that's actually quite low on the skill chart because of the way the dice rolled when it came to rolling them up, versus someone on someone who's average but actually is very good at shooting, and so that kind of helps to sort of mean that like even if you have a force of elites, which I think we've all experienced the carbine laser red dot elite <clears throat> brigade kicking the way through in inspector, um, it's very rare to have kind of feel that level of just overwhelmed by an elite force um yeah. unless of course they bring like 10 of them along at which point it's kind of like <laughs> oh yeah they're gonna they're gonna shoot you like the moment you leave cover you're dead um so <laughs> so yeah so it's kind of i think that that angle to it obviously brings its benefits um there's some other comments about how the game plays and things like that but i think i can get into that if you guys are interested to hear the, the fundamentals certainly
3: yeah I, uh, I'm sure we're going to get into covering that a little bit later. But so, one thing that you mentioned was this game is a little bit older. It was released in 2013. So, obviously, there was a version one of the rules. Is there like an updated version? I mean, we're pushing almost 10 years old in the rules.
2: Yeah. So, there is a version two that is being in, it is in development. Um, we kind of had a beta version shown of it back in 2020 um, via the, the Skirmish Sengen sort of Facebook group. Uh, Radio Dish Dash has been busy in in the intervening years doing the Ultra Combat range, I believe it's called. I've got Double Cookie Checkers now. Yeah, that's it. But basically, yeah, so so they have worked out a whole other game, um, which has some similarities, some differences. It was kind of designed to be this game that would take you everywhere from uh, playing squad level all the way up to multiple platoons on the board which is it's obviously it's quite exciting way of doing it I have sort of read through the rules and it's definitely one that I want to try out once I have some more figures and and, and things mm. and I think what you've what you've seen from their development on that is they have then gone back and looked at the things that the skirmish Sangin in maybe didn't do what it could have done sort of little tweaks they've decided to, to give to it sort of change it from this first version in, into a brand new one uh, unfortunately version twos it's kind of been on hold um Radio Dish Jazz has had a an exciting, it's perhaps a polite way of putting it, few years. Um, they have had a Kickstarter which has been had several delays, um, as most Kickstarters have had yeah, just... since twenty twenty. <laughs> um, so they're still in the process of finishing that out, um, and so because of that, version two has kind of paused. Um, the last playtest we got was um, was back in November twenty twenty, which was a lot of kind of fixing up minor things, and sort of that was. That is the rules as they currently stand, um, which is, they're quite playable, but it's obviously not a complete rule set just yet.
3: Sure. So kind of spoiler alert, I'm the only one in this conversation that hasn't played a game or at least a game of Sangin. So like if I was looking to get into it, would I need the version one rules to play the version two beta or where can I find? I mean, you mentioned, I think the, that you can find it on the Facebook, the beta rules. Um, but what else do I need, you know, rules wise to play?
2: Honestly, uh, nothing else at the moment. You just, you just need a playtest document. Oh, there are a few okay. um, useful of a document like uh, character character cards and a, a rather good um, quick reference guide that actually ha- like has the, like uh, when I when in the games we have potentially played in the past, looking behind the curtain, um, I, I didn't pass the rule book to the other players. I just passed over the the quick reference and sort of it has all the important information you really need to be playing the game, and then sort of. As you would hope with a quick reference sheet, when you only look back at the main rule book for sort of major things of the rules about like little things that aren't covered in the in the in the, the small cards. Sure,
3: I'm a big fan of a good quick reference sheet. That just makes yeah, things absolutely. so much easier. <clears throat> Spectre, well, <clears throat> oh, they have one. Oh, they it's... have one. It's just you know, <sighs> hopefully they put out a
2: Home- PDF, <laughs> homemade on a piece of on a piece of a word document. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think the other thing I need to mention is that uh, version two, because it's in progress, is missing some, not vital parts, but definitely parts which, if you're coming from Spectre, you might miss. So um, the weapons list is kind of work in progress. Uh, there has some there's some terminology i don't disagree don't agree with on that automatic right, rifle ref, on that weapons. Don't, don't start. I, I can't help myself it's a long yeah. it's a long argument um so it's missing stickers. that <laughs> I'm just gonna reprint yeah, reprint it out and just cover it up um <laughs> so it's it's the weapons list is the casualty rules which was a big thing in in the version one because this is you know based off um behavior of military units It's kind of like if you take casualty if you're playing blue four you you, you'd evac them and there would be this rush to like we have to get these guys off the board sooner rather than later we don't want to leave them here for too long sure um which is cool i there have been games where like first round of shooting someone goes down we roll to check if we're gonna actually do the evac it's like yep these guys have to go now and then that whole military convoy just kind of pulls them back with the button and carries on um so it's it's missing stuff like that, and and I would say that version one was never the big toolbox sandbox paradise of let's build a really intricate list of like different bits of gear and different equipment. It was very much a uh, rifleman um, with an assault rifle, pistol, and and body armor and frag smoke grenades. It was never like oh we'll put on these attachments and we'll and we'll do that, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Which I think comes partially down to want to make it like sort of reduce the complexity, but I think there is also an element of uh, maybe at that time it wasn't quite as important to have that level of customization, which I think with with more current rule sets and just with how things have changed, um, you know, this is a this is a pre-Syria conflict rule set we're talking about here, so it didn't cover a whole lot of stuff which we now have we have to look at and deal with. So
3: yeah, Syria brought a lot of weird stuff out. And yeah. um, I mean, you look at just popular media too. I mean, look at video games. I mean, it's really popular to. People complain no. if you can't customize your weapons, right? So I think that that's a relatively newer concept,
1: or at least newer since yeah. that game got released, like I you said. Just want to yeah. mention this as well with the video games, like after Modern Warfare 2 or what it was. I cannot. I don't remember what year it was. I think.
2: Modern Warfare 2 is, 20, is 2009. 2009. Um, but obviously, <laughs> it takes time for it to kind of come through yeah. and. and War Games Rules writers aren't Look, okay. So it goes like military specialists and then it goes video game developers because they're having to having to deal with like the crazed kiddies who are obsessed with all the modern stuff. And then after that, that's when you get the war games writers sort of and you, you see like technology and gear sort of trend its way down, Trickles in, down. This, in the stream. Yeah. That's funny. So so yeah, so that's something to be aware of is that you know, as going back to the topic, version two is it's it's not a complete rule set. But as we can attest having played it, it's definitely got, uh, as someone who's played version one, it's kept that level of interest and that level of excitement and then added to it with a few little systems that I think really change it from just being, here are some characters to, no, this is actually a unit working and and fighting its way through.
3: Awesome.
1: Nice. Um, Yeah. I mean, do you have for our listeners because besides Ben, everybody has played it <coughs> uh, more or less like what, what, what are the items and tools you need to play? I mean, besides obviously miniatures and probably some dice, you mentioned the D hundred system. How does it work? This is a hundred sided dice. Or okay, so you,
2: <laughs> weird. you could use a hundred sided dice if you really want, to. I mean, they are available, but they do kind of, you look at them a bit and go like, that's not, that's not a real dice. That's someone's making a joke. Um, <laughs> so the way d100 works is if, if you haven't experienced it before it is two d10s um usually one will have a will have zeros added to the end of each number so you'll be rolling your 10s value on that one and then you'll roll your unit's value on the other and then those two are added together um for skirmish sanghan all of your skill checks are based on d100 so that's you only need two for that but for weapons damage and firepower that's all done on a collection of d10s anywhere from one up to about six. So you don't need tons of dice. You're not rolling 40k orc level of <laughs> D6s spilling over the table. Um, but it is definitely like 60 tens would probably give, do, give you enough. Um, Helpful if, if you don't have a D100 sp- specific set, having one of a different color then sort of makes it easier. easier. Yeah. Uh, much much easier to, be, to remember what's going on. Um, the second part is... This is a game where you're solo basing minis, so you can so no matter what scale you choose to play, and you kind of want to have each one on individual bases because when they activate, they're activating individually. This isn't a group activation or anything like that. So maybe don't use Flames of War figures on this on the group bases, <laughs> like separate them out into individual ones. Um, in terms of scale, there there have been people who've played it in fifteen mil, in twenty mil. Twenty mil is very popular because obviously. At 20 mil, you get a lot more vehicles um kits that you can you can play around with, and also with uh, the rules, it gives you a lot more space to to play around with. Um I think in a lot of cases, people sort of slightly scale them down or or use it in sort of metric rather than in inches and things like that.
1: I do believe um, that Anthalonica has a 50 mil set for Scaramus Engine. I've seen that. I had it already in my basket <laughs> but i thought
2: ah, oh, not to go on another scale not of yet. course you did <laughs> yeah slow slowly falling one yeah. day you'll wake up and you'll have three mil figures everywhere and like, oh. Oh, how did this happen <laughs> um in, in terms of the other stuff you need you also need tape measure which you know it's, it's a style of war games not uh tile based um and then having some tokens is very handy um both for Marking if your characters moved or if they've taken cover um, in the version one, you needed quite a few because it wasn't just a simplified taking cover set. It was stuff like, have they gone prone? Have they Are they crouching? Have they hidden themselves away? So having these tokens is obviously handy to be able to look at the board and work out what's going on very simply. Um, in the past, there was also a need for a lot of um, suppression markers, Which that system has now changed, so you don't need to have the great stacks of of markers next to each figure to show if they've been suppressed by coming into fire. Um, There was we had occasions where, like you know, if you get hit by a a fifty cal or something, so multiple shots in a single turn, you end up with like ten stacks of tokens next to each (laughs) character in in whatever group got caught outside. Uh, Luckily, you don't need quite so many of those anymore. Um, And then I think kind of the main thing is.
0: Are you going to read it on?
2: No, there's one other little thing I need to mention is this is a game that does require some paperwork. It does require some setup up front. It does need printing out of character sheets. It does need rolling these characters up. I always assemble an activation chart just to make it easier. So rather than having to sort of do what is working in the rule book, which is where you say, like, oh, who activates on this, and then work around each player. You instead just have a list of everything that activates, and you can just work your way down the list going, okay, so sevens activate, this means these characters activate out. Um, And having that paperwork, plus your quick reference sheets, you do kind of end up with a little bit of paperwork in front of you, um, but it does mean that the game flows a lot better and you're not struggling to remember, oh, wait, who's actually activated this turn? Oh, hang on, it's it's not these guys, so... Um, having that helps, and of course the last one is let me just check this paper, that can't be right you're going to have a certain excitement playing narratively <laughs> um, you, you have to sort of come into this game thinking less oh I'm going to win, I'm going to tell my opponent I'm going to get lots of victory points there's definitely a victory points element to it but that is less about oh I want tons of points, and more about I need to play the scenario and the setup and the force I'm playing, and bear in mind like how do how do all these things work together, um, and if you put that mindset to it, it then helps the rest of the game become more interesting. It's it's less about kind of I'm going to squander my pawns, and more about okay, so this squad probably wouldn't try and bomb rush across that corridor without putting some supp- fire down or they wouldn't try and do this little like stuff that's very gamey because they're actual characters as opposed to just a unit of whatever quality they
3: are right and i like that a lot We're, we've talked about that before i think dan and I, i'm sure that we mentioned it on your episode two charge um that a lot of these games are games that you play with somebody not against somebody and i think that's yeah. where you get Listen. they're built for that and you get the most enjoyment out of it you know you're not wrecking face basically all the time
2: I don't foresee there being skirmish in tournaments. Um, or if they are, then more narrative weekends as mm. opposed to, well, you know, whoever wins, gets the most victory points of the weekends wins. Yeah. So.
3: It's a cool idea. A big narrative tournament, or not tournament, but event, I suppose.
1: Yeah, especially like um, when you have character sheets, it's not like you have character one and it has like this and the stats, but you give them names which make them more human. That's like mm. the thing we talked in our going away from actual conflicts and things, which is kind of, I think, I understand now where it comes from, where you're told like this, it came from Scourge Sengen, your ideas and playing with other people. And, yeah, I mean, no, I actually should say it in the next segment, so I'm going to save that one for now. <clears throat> but the other question is, like, now your an average Spectre player, can he just... Jump in the game with respect to tokens and just getting the rule set and a set of detents.
2: Honestly, probably yes. I mean, if you if you know if you and your opponent agree, well, you know the Overwatch token says I've been moving or or it says I'm I've, I'm into hiding cover. Um, you know, these as long as as long as you both agree on what each of the tokens means, yes, <laughs> then that works. I mean, when when we play, we just use tiddlywinks, like little little gaming pieces, so you don't even need specific tokens, um, which i can't i don't know if you can actually buy the tokens anymore that was my next was, question yeah um so there used to be some plastic kind of uh, laser cut tokens which i think came with the one of the kickstarters um for i think one of the one of the expansion books i'd have to go and double check cast my mind back into the past <laughs> um but effectively they had specific tokens um they have are no longer on the website, they're no longer really available. But honestly, just whatever tokens works for you, um would probably be fine. And and I say converting from from Spectre to Sangin is literally just work out what the tokens are, get some D one hundreds, and then have a quick look for the rules to understand what's going on. Uh, and then you and you're good to go. You know, it's the same figures. It's even probably the same scenarios. Uh with just maybe maybe a few less militia.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you don't have any tokens, you can always print out Death Crisis, nicely made free tokens. Yeah. This is not a sponsored message. Not sponsored, (laughs) he doesn't get paid for them, he did them out of the kindness of his
3: heart, and they are great. Yeah. (laughs) Good, Good call out there, Dan. All right, so you guys ended up playing a demo game. Is that uh, where you're kind of going next, Mister Charge?
2: Yeah, I, I was also wondering yes. if I quickly just go over the the basics. Mm, yeah, uh, the basic sort of core yeah. concepts, effectively, yeah, of the game, which I think sort of Dan, as you're someone who came into this game from from scratch, like obviously you yeah. had to sort of pick it up from 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 nothing. Um, so so the, the main things that make Skirmish Engine stand out from anything else is the activation system. Uh, the character skill rolls, and in version two, the brand new tempo system. Yes. And I think these sort of three things are the, the exciting changes, effectively. So so activation, um, each turn of Skirmish Sangin consists of 10 phases. And I realize I'm about to go into a maths hole here, so just, just bear with me. So <laughs> in each phase, um, a different group of characters will activate. So in the first phase... Characters with an initiative of between 15 and, I think it's like 11. So that first block, the guys who were really fast. Um, initiative being the replacement for the old body value, which kind of had some balancing issues, which relating because they basically linked body value, which is your activation to your stats generation, which meant everyone who was really fast got really high stats, and everyone who was slow got not so good stats. Yeah, That has now been split. In version two, which I think is one of the, like it's one of those little things that you don't think about until it's actually done and and you're like, oh, I see exactly the reason for doing this. Um, so with that cut, initiative is now separate from your skills. Based on your initiative, that's when you activate. So you, you know the super fast guys activate first. Um, but in each turn, every character will activate at least four times. Uh, you will activate in the first turn. Let's say well, sorry, sorry, the first phase, and then in your act like in the third phase, and then the fifth phase, and the seventh phase. Um and what this means is you actually have a lot of your your action economy. If I drop into game design for a moment there, um, you have a lot of actions you can do in a single turn. So that then means that you have it's quite interesting to work out what your character should be should be up to. Um but of course With you activating later on in in that phase, other characters then activate around you. So in the second phase, the second group activates. In the third phase, the third slowest set of characters activate. And they activate before the characters from the first phase. So you end up with... These guys are getting to move... uh, Yeah, so there's there's a a back and forth. There's a a, a much more of a better flow of you feeling like it's not just... One guy, one team gets to move all their guys first, and then the other team has to sort of wait and then respond. There's a bit, bit more of a an intermixing and sort of keeps helps to keep you in the game, and much more than it can do if you're just doing a, a more more well normal I go you go setup.
1: Yeah, and something to mention is that it's an action point based game, which is yeah. not rare in the skirmish type of game. But I mean, obviously, we are now comparing with Spectre head on because that's our main squeeze on the podcast and generally. But it's something I really appreciate. I'm a really big fan of action points. Game gives a little bit more freedom, not like uh, now you have to move, now you have to shoot, now you have to throw smoke or whatever.
3: So basically what you're saying is you get a three action points or whatever per uh, phase, phase for your character. And that can be... Moving or shooting, or what other options are there?
2: So it's so the main thing is that like you have sort of combat actions, which is shooting, which is doing melee attacks, and you can only do one of those per per activation. Okay. So you can't activate and choose to shoot three times. Mm-hmm. Um, what you can do instead is you can effectively use your your activations to do other things around it. So you can move. You can um, move at different speeds. So if you want to move quickly, obviously running running is the most is is the best. Uh, that gives you per action point um, eight inches if you're not wearing body armor, or six inches if you are, because obviously body armor you know just provides an imped uh, like it slows you down as well as being useful. I like that. Um, but the problem with moving quickly is that if you end your activation still moving quickly, when it comes to shooting you, you're a lot easier to spot, um, slightly less uh, easy to be shot at. But also when you when you're moving, um, it affects how quick how well you can do. Uh, spotting and shooting. So if you were running and still moving and then trying to shoot someone, you're going to have a, a quite significant modifier to, to prevent you just from running around the map and spraying up everything.
3: So there really is like a a, a tactical feel to it. You know, you're, there's a reason that you're doing, you have to do that risk and benefit on each character yeah. activation,
2: right? So there's also a moment of like, okay, is it worth me stopping, which will make it easier to to shoot this guy? Or do I want to keep moving because it then makes it harder for them to shoot me back? Uh, and there also comes with things like one of the actions is referred to as going firm in the rules. Um, which I can't stop myself smiling every time I say that.
3: I saw Dan, he had a straight face throughout that whole
2: I yeah, I'm surprised how it's how it's, Dan keep straight facing me, one but laughing. It's it's something that's come up every time I've tried to play with people, uh then everyone else sort of sort of starts cracking a smirk the first time you say it, and then before you know it, you're like, Oh, hang on a minute no i'm laughing um but but going firm <laughs> is effectively making the best use of for cover so rather than being rather than having specific i'm going prone i'm going um am crouching it's now just a short generic use the best use of cover which Catch provides all. you a quite significant bonus to not being spotted and not being shot mm. um but the problem is if you go firm you then have to remove that condition which takes one of your action points So that's one less action point of movement or one less action point shooting. Um, And so that sort of does affect how quickly you can actually perform your actions if you have to constantly keep getting yourself back up off the floor to go and move off and do something else. Um, There are also a few other actions which um, can be used also sort of like vaulting over cover. uh, Moving into melee combat is a quite significant action because it takes up all three of your activation points but includes a move and then a melee strike or a close quarters strike, to be more precise. Um But the other thing with action points is they can then be applied to other actions to effectively let you focus in on them or or like you know, sort of aiming before shooting or or really focusing on calling in your like working on your command skill or or any any other skills that each character has. So hmm. this can effectively turn, you know, give you a plus plus twenty percent modifier with each AP giving you, you know, a plus ten percent, um, which can, you know, it obviously makes sense. If you're willing to to sit and cover and aim at a target rather than just snap off a shot, then it's going to take you more time to do. Hmm. Uh, so I I definitely like that ability to be like, you know, what I I, re- I really have to spot this guy this turn because I have to make sure that he's not hiding in those bushes for too much longer. So I'm going to basically spend. All my action points to do it or maybe i'll spend one action point in addition to then leave the last action point available to then tell everyone else so then another character can activate next and take him out sort of thing so hmm. effectively every time your character activates you have this wide array of actions to choose from which don't necessarily feel overwhelming because it's not like oh you could shoot like one way or you could shoot a different way or you could shoot like all these in ways it's like no you're shooting but how much action points you spend on the shooting, or what you're doing around the shooting, is what affects it from turning it from a casual you know, shoot of your pistol as you as you dive into cover, or a, a carefully aimed shot, um, having sort of taken up a, a good sniper position the turn before, sort of thing.
3: Yeah, that's really cool. That adds a lot of tec- tactical flexibility and a lot of choices.
1: Yeah, one one important thing to notice or uh, to mention, I mean, is that you can per activation only use one action for the actual shooting but you can use, like, two for the aiming or focusing, which is called. So yeah. you cannot just, like, ah, I'm going to shoot with three three times on you. And
2: also, actually, certain weapons, this is a rule we actually missed in our, in our demo game, which I've been kicking <laughs> myself, which I actually really add to, like, the, the feel of the game is that different weapons take different action points to, to perform the attack action. So assault rifle takes one action point. You know, it's a pretty basic level of bring to shoulder and pull trigger. <laughs> um, but if you're using grenades, that's free action. That's a whole. That's a whole activation to pull out a grenade, to prep it, and then throw it. Um, and that can then affect how you then play out your go. Because if you're if you're aware that this character is gonna take a long time to get a pretty devastating weapon together with the hand grenade, then you have to make sure that he's in a good position to do it the turn before, and sort of then set up those um, those actions. And of course, the time scale of all this is. is if you think about what's actually playing out on the board, it's actually quite compressed. Like I don't, they used to say that an action, like an action point, was about three seconds worth of 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 doing something. Um, that that kind of what was our initial design idea, and then it, and it changed into being a bit more of a sort of more g- generic amount of time. But like even that as a guideline, you know, this is this is less like a a full operation all the way through, and then much more of a, a real focused in on Moments. the action side of any operation. Yeah. Um, so one addition that I think which is also available as part of your actions and as part of your skill roles is Tempo and I this helped to fix perhaps my only main problem I had with Skirmish Sangin, which was that um, your NCO characters were just this, this guy is slightly better at shooting, can help rally your, your friends off and they didn't really have that feel of this is a squad leader commanding a team of guys, it felt just more like here are some characters. Um, so what tempo is, tempo is a way for you to gain the, the tactical advantage over the, the battlefield. It's, it's like effectively your NCO sitting down to work out the situation and then plan what, what we're going to do next. So thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to take a pause and realize, oh, hang on, if I can get my guys in this setup or if they can be aware of what's about to happen, it helps you to sort of then win the day, um, and what that means on the game play, on on the tabletop is is um, characters who are command characters, so NCOs, um, leaders of of the resist like uh, uh, um, insurgents. They can choose to stop and they can go. Right, I'm going to spend some AP to to get some tempo, um, and. Obviously, we're being a command check, which is basically you roll against your command skill, and if you roll uh, below or equal to it, you pass, you gain a point of tempo. But you can choose to also go, ah, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna risk it, I'm gonna gamble, I'm gonna make it harder for me to pass my command roll. Um, so each additional point of tempo is a minus ten percent to you. So you like, you might have a guy who starts off at, at uh, command level ninety eight, and then you're like, I'm gonna. I'm going to try uh, for five points of tempo, and suddenly you're you're dealing with a like a, a fifty almost a fifty fifty chance of do I pass this or not? Um, but what that can do is it can very quickly let you build up this tempo that can then be deployed in different ways. So it's doing things like if you want to bring a bigger force into close combat, then you can choose to spend tempo to be like for each character I bring in with me to help sweep a room or or clear out a trench. That's a point of tempo. It can help you to. Very quickly, remove any suppression of a friendly character by de- using Tempo uh, as effectively representing whoever's using the Tempo, sort of turning to make me like, right, you, get it, we're here, we're in the middle of a fight, let's kind of stick it together and, and keep the fight going. Um, but it also lets you do things like if you come under fire, you can react to enemy contacts because you're aware, hang on, there's bad guys around here, let's actually dive for cover or try to return fire before moving to cover and things like that. That's super cool. And I think the most common one is dropping two points of tempo to be like, right, I now have four action points this turn, and just being like sprinting out of cover, or it can be the ability to actually shoot now with a plus thirty percent modifier, or or just giving you that little extra boost at just the right time, and that helps to sort of make it make it feel more like and sort of plan out what you're doing rather than just well I'll I'll see how these characters go sort of thing. Um, it does of course require you to actually have characters that have command skills which does mean you actually need to have NCOs on the board which is obviously plays into a lot of games.
3: Is that um typically one NCO per side or can it be multiple or
2: Uh you can have multiple. Um I think if if like if you're doing a um think about like a, a US army um squad not section because it's a squad because they're American. Mm. But in a squad, you effectively have your your squad leader, but then you have two fire team leaders. So you would probably have a squad leader would have the highest command value, and then the two fire team leaders would have probably slightly lower one, which would then give you that flexibility to have while the squad leader is maybe doing the first lot of tempo to then pass out to everyone close by. If you then need to generate some more very quickly, you have a fire team leader who is able to do it and pass out to his to his teammates. Who are sort of in relatively close by to him. Nice. Uh, or if you were thinking more like um, on the opposite side, if you've got like an insurgent force, then you might have it that effectively you've dropped perhaps some uh, friends from across the border who have decided that this this insurgent group needs a little bit of a backbone, and now they are dealing with individual squads. to Be like, right, you guys do this, you guys do that. Let's go. Let's like actually push as, as a team and work it out. And they're they're the ones generating effectively their forces. Uh, understanding of the battlefield to then push forward.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah, one one important thing is to mention maybe, or at least I, I think I remembered it right, that the when the commander or NCO is generating this tempo, he needs immediately to give um, give it away or like keep it. And uh, each carrier can have a maximum of five tempo, and you kind of need some. Either they need to be nearby. I don't know what's the distance. In um, range in inches, or they need to have like comms to be able, which makes, is, makes kind of sense. So,
2: yeah, so it's so it's twelve inches for 12. Uh, non-radio users, but obviously um, the rules are kind of written with the intention that you're doing um, Afghanistan stuff. So it mentions stuff like, well, a properly trained army has comms, so it'll just pass it out to anyone on the same net, effectively. Uh, which of course could be interesting if you if you wanted to do missions where and like. Maybe you've got two different forces that aren't hundred percent connected to each other. Maybe they can't pass tempo between between the two of them because they're just not on. They're not used to having some sergeant who's not speaking the same language as them run up and start giving them orders. We're like, I don't, I don't know who you are. Uh, so yeah, so it sort of it, it does sort of then help to like make more interesting forces because there's more useful things that these choices do other than just oh well he can he can shoot real good I guess yeah.
3: No, I, that uh, definitely changes the feel of the game quite a bit. And that's something that's attractive to me that, again, I, I like when you have decisions to make and when you have things that you can use to give yourself, you know, more options. I know that's pretty, <laughs> pretty vague. I'm just trying to kind of take all this in because, again, you know, I've observed um, now, you know, half of a game, three quarters of a game. Um, so I kind of understand what you're talking about, but just kind of taking it all in, it seems like, it's kind of you know, it's spectrum on steroids a little bit where it's a lot more gritty and a lot more there's more options um more. for what you can do it's Grand not road. just a set regimen of like okay now it's time for my commands okay now it's time for me to do a movement and less lethal or whatever um and then combat you can kind of give yourself different things to do or order of what you do
2: yeah, I, I mean it's it is kind of it's a bit like you know, if you think about it in terms of Spectre, it's kinda of like someone cut your Spectre force in half. So you only have so you have less people, but then stretch them out to fill the same game area. Sure. So you now have more detail on each of the individual mm-hmm. figures. So it isn't just I'm gonna move this distance, it's well how do they move, how do they do this? Yeah. Uh, you know, we obviously have going tactical in, in Spectre, but that's some of that detail so some of that sort of action is actually then slightly more detailed yeah. in 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 sangin um
1: yeah the the thing like what you said um we don't have any weapon lists and like tools for making the game more interesting but i think what currently the v2 is like what i have um, been in contact and played um lacks in terms of um, weapon attachments and stuff it makes up with all the different decisions you can make with one character. It's not like, like I mentioned earlier, like moving, shooting, or throwing a grenade, or going into Overwatch, and that's it. So with this really very, um, what's called, gradient of this, um, options you have, so it's not like um, one or zero, it's more, uh, you know, um, it makes the game kind of like chess-like, I feel. It's, you have, you can plan so extremely in advance. Like when we go into the detail, like, um, the experience of my game, which you provided me. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's something I just want to mention right now that it's really, you can really, like, like Ben said, you can plan it extremely in your head. And even with the small things that happens, which could change your plan, you can still adjust because you have so many options for one character. Which you can adapt easily without going extremely off of your planned procedure. Yeah,
2: I also think that it being D100 rather than D6, it does actually yeah. because of that is a, a larger probability space to play around with. It does mean that you know elite characters are going to have stats over one hundred percent. So, like, if an elite if an elite marksman shooting at you, they're going to have like one hundred and fifty skill, which basically means if you're in an open plane and they are shooting at you, like as long as you don't roll a zero zero, you're, you're like they hit you. There's, there's no there's no way around it. Um, but there's always that chance they could roll a zero zero, or there's always that chance that that militiaman sat behind a wall firing an AK over his head um, might roll a zero one on a shot that's not going to hit. And even if it, you know, and if it, if it it doesn't, hit, it's still causing suppression, but still requires you to deal with the fact. There is some guy behind cover shooting you with an AK. Right. Um, and I think that that... I always feel that kind of gives you um, a lot broader feel of what could happen. Yeah. Um, versus versus what can happen in, in sort of other games. Now, 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 This isn't to say that other games are bad, but it's just like what Sangin is going for effectively gives you this wide open field, but for a very small amount of characters. Like... Um, as you mentioned at the start, it's for squad level attachments. I like, you can play with platoons of troops. That's going to take you a long time and you probably want multiple players and you probably want to like spread out the men. Cause there's, there's a mental workload to playing this game mm. in terms of keeping track of which, which figures, which what's it. Could, Cause obviously unlike in inspector where you say, okay, well this, you know, this is a squad of professionals. It doesn't really matter apart from what weapons they've got, who is who, when it comes to moving them, when you have named characters, you have to have a way of working out, okay, well, which guy's this when it comes to activating them? Be that um, writing distinguishing features on the car- on the character sheet or something else just to remind you of who goes when and so you don't end up being lost in the like, pile of troops you've got to remember who- wait, what's going on. Makes sense.
3: Well, I know that one of a frustration of mine with Spectre is um, when you get, when you're playing, again, an outlier, as we've talked before, kind of off, off camera, you have an outlier situation where you have your elites versus your militia you know if the elite shoots at your militia there's no chance that you're gonna be stopping it it's it's super minuscule that you're gonna be able to roll because you have you know what uh your defensive two and their shooting score is like eight i mean you know you're not gonna be able to to stop that from happening where here you really could fluff a roll either way and um yeah, that's cool that it's not just an automatic washout. And again, not, not saying that, you know, there's anything wrong with Spectre. I really like Spectre, but this is really kind of attractive that you do have to take that into consideration. Um, that there can be lucky shots or lucky, you know, misses, or, you know, whatever.
1: Especially, um, with the, I'm sorry, uh, right. with the, <laughs> I saw you gasping for air. <laughs> I wanted to say something. Um, now with the, like, below, 10% uh, rolls that you generate automatically. It doesn't matter if it's an NCO or anything else. You generate this um, tempo for the character, which is cool. And I don't remember, but if you roll like um, a 1 or something, isn't it like an imi- like a success in any case?
2: Yeah, so <laughs> oh, um, nice. because because it's a 100 system, they get to play these fun games. So if you roll a zero one, that is the lowest you can get, and that is effectively guaranteed success like immediate <laughs> best possible role so like i we had a game back um several years ago at this point where i think it was like uh navy seals like chasing after a bomb maker at night for a field um and i'm pretty sure we had like effectively the seals came into came into contact and one of the guys spotted him and this is at night so it's, it's already a pretty pretty major ne- negative. Uh this guy was hidden so that's a minus 75% to being spotted. And this like insurgent bodyguard just pops up and rolls a zero one and immediately spots him and you're just like okay. Well, you know, <laughs> that's stuff that happens. If you, you know, when you when you go and read up on this stuff, you know, dumb things happen, things you wouldn't expect happen. So obviously that that's great and then to counter that if you roll a zero zero no matter, no matter even if you've got the highest possible skill check in the world, like you roll a zero zero, you fluffed it. You've rolled a fumble, and obviously, anyone who's played things like Dark Heresy or any RPG that has d one system knows, fumbles is the best thing in games because it changes what's a pretty static, understandable space into just strange things happening. Like uh, the fumble chart for the current DnD in game includes stuff like you run out of ammo, you fall over, yeah. you. Um, I think one of them is like you like the opposing player repositions you which oh. is just like, you know, you lost contact with, with the guys you're with, so you, you kind of you stumble, you move away from them. Um, and, like, all of these little fumbles just help to sort of... It changes it from, well, my piece did this, into, oh, well, this guy got lost and sort of separated his team, or <laughs> yeah. well, this guy, um, you know, dumped his mag into someone that had, had a weapon malfunction to clear it in the middle of combat. Yeah, weapon jam, um, And so it all adds to... Uh, I think there was there's a podcast where um, the guy behind it, uh, Colin actually sat down and mentioned, like, after you play a game of Sangin, you don't talk about, well, this piece did this. You talk about, well, this guy did this or this happened to this person. Um, and I think that's, that's all these fumbles. Like, and as you mentioned with the, the tempo bonus, so if you roll in the rules, it's it's 10%, of, uh, 10% or below of, of your target goal, um, then you gain tempo because effectively you're doing so well. You gain that understanding of what's going on the battlefield, which is what tempo is. So, so yeah, it's lots of little stuff that I think really plays into the whole the narrative feel of, of what the game can be.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant. And also mentioning 100, the D100 system, it's way easier to do math <laughs> because it's like, yeah. And one thing I wanted to mention, everybody listening, like they think, oh, there's so many actions I can do. This is so overwhelming. And like what Michael mentioned, the, the, the player aids, it's called, the quick reference guides, is so well laid out. It's like one table with all the actions and the percentage, it goes up or down with one minor home edit from Michael, I remember, which makes sense and I agree with him, which I've f- the that, you know, with the stopping, was... when you go firm, yeah, that yeah. you also went to stop. Uh, if you yeah. walk, that you stopped and not yeah, get yeah. the they, enemy... Um, the,
2: there was some copy and paste work done on the on the state on the modifiers chat, which was like if you walk, it gives you the same negatives it gives the same positive modifier to being spot and negative modifier to being shot. Which when looking at it, it's like it doesn't like, yeah, it's easier to spot to spot someone that's walking, but it's not like the same as someone full on sprinting across an open field, sort of thing. Makes sense. Um so I so it's so, so the, uh, the the PDF that's been passed around has like a red line through <laughs> yes. those charts. It just goes, oh, it counts as zero, zero. So, nice. Um, speaking of passing out, and because we keep mentioning, it, we should probably talk about the actual fun bit, which is playing yeah. the game. Yeah. Uh, and more importantly, I want to hear, because obviously we, we've, we've talked about this, but Dan, how did you find your remote game? Well. Because once you mentioned it, I can tell you exactly how much <laughs> I was... Bricking it's the wrong word, but it was very definitely like, oh god, I hope everyone likes this game.
1: <laughs> okay, so first of all, I have to to say, like, my first experience with Sengen was only, like, what you told us on the Discord and everything. Every time, like, somebody mentioned Spectre, then you're like, hmm, but I know a game which does it way better. So I'm, I'm very intrigued, and I was and still are very intrigued with Skirmish Sengen, or Sengen, which is called the second version, if I'm right. Yeah um I did got the PDF books and I never got around to read it because it felt very overwhelming like the the face thing you mentioned like this is such a huge table and you see like character one and one two seven um what's it like one two seven and three to five and I don't even remember right now it's like it was so much that I've had like this um mental blockades, kind of like, oh, I cannot get it into my head. And then I didn't continue to read, which is really a bummer, actually. But, like you explaining me it in less than 30 minutes, I think. 20 minutes, like the main important things. Everything is like, similar to the 6-inch moving and the shooting. One thing I really, really liked is that you don't have to measure the distance for the rifles and guns and everything. Because it doesn't matter, actually. Like, we're playing... On a 6x4, I forgot already, was it 200 meters at maximum? Not even 170 meters, yeah, something s- like this. S-
2: like that, yeah, Yeah. so the
1: only thing we had in our game was that the pistol guys had like a limited range, which is also in the current iteration of the beta rules, which makes sense. So it, this kind of speeds up the game flow, which is cool. And before going deep into the Sangin thing, the remote game, like, we did not play it through tabletop simulator, like, Michael took the time which he probably enjoyed a lot <laughs> because I would too, I guess, to um, set up the table and, you know, just at, at his um, dinner table at home and he set up one camera which was a static semi-overview of the table um, with my characters in focus. And he had like a second um, Discord. We did everything over Discord. Um, a second Discord account, which he had activated on his mobile phone. And when something was unclear and I couldn't really see it, he just like this pull out the the drone, which flew over the table and kind of give me the necessary angle to see something. You know, like this. Usually, when you go drop down to see at the edge of the table, like ah, does the guy have line of sight? Something with this in his work so good and I really had like moments, I got so immersed that I, my, mentally I was like there with you playing the game it was crazy like I'm still having nice dreams about it <laughs> it was really good and not to shit on Tabletop Simulator but um yeah, anytime a rather remote game than Tabletop Simulator by one yeah, yeah <laughs> so yeah,
2: I mean, one, one thing I think that um, I would definitely say is I am quite fortunate in the fact that I have the space to set this up and to leave it set up, and you know, have I I don't have other people need to use the same space, so obviously that helps a lot. Um, and I think that you know if, if you don't have that space, tabletop simulator obviously works great as as an alternative, but it does um, having the terrain set up is obviously easier to build. And also uh, having just one person's hand doing all the moving around rather than kind of a tabletop simulator of everyone sort of starts moving stuff around before you know it and physics gets into action. And it's like, a... yes, then <laughs> the game jank sneaks in and before you know it, like tables are flipped over and you're like, oh, how did this happen? <laughs> um, by yeah. playing remote, luckily the only person who can flip the table over is me and it's a dining <laughs> table, so I might struggle, frankly.
1: Yeah taking the time you spend into painting and building everything it will probably <laughs> I mean, not happen.
2: <laughs> I mean that's the other thing is it's quite nice to get painted figures out and, and play with them even when it's not able to actually have people in the same room as it you can still get out and play with all this stuff and all this MDF that you spend all your time building and painting and, and putting into place or you know all the figures and and um I think from from my side, it definitely helps that Sang is maybe a bit less focused on inch perfect positioning. Yeah. It's a lot less about like, oh well, you can only move six inches, therefore you only reach this stage. And a lot more about like I'm trying to reach that that position. Can I get there? Okay, well yeah, let's 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 try that out and then we'll see where we move on from there. So it's uh it definitely helps that it's not quite so competitive and, and specific um and let's you sort of play it a little bit easier, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one thing you mentioned in the beginning as well. It's like um it's more of like a gentleman's game agreement thing so pre-measuring obviously is no problem and yeah I think we had like a situation like I said like yeah I wanna walk until I'm behind this tree or something and you measured it and if it works then we did it and if not then I obviously could reconsider it with this penalty of not being there and doing the measuring myself and everything but besides it's really remote game big thumbs up and everything yeah. yeah. So, Michael was so, yeah. pulling the sweat first. <laughs> just, just, just sweating a little bit. Yeah.
2: Um, so, so, yeah, so it was really good sort of to get it out and, and play it. Um, and then introduce new players to, to Sangin, And Yes. I think I think it may have corrupted you based yes. on your, your conversation afterwards. Horrible. About yeah. How you feel.
1: I don't even of know course, where my Spectre rulebook is currently. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Of course, yeah.
2: it did help that there was a character named after you on, on the board. Which, yeah. Yeah.
1: But before we come to that, um, I want to say that, I don't know, we had like four days You, where you wrote me this message like, what are you going to do on Saturday or Sunday or whatever it was? And you pulled like all this strings and everything to make up a nice um, Word document or like Google Docs, which is the, the mission briefing. And you went uh, all in in terms of, like even for me, which is, I, I know your and stuff and everything. Um, maybe not as good as other fans are there, <laughs> but um, like this small, it was one page or one and a half pages got me completely um, mentally set up in the setting, in the scene, which was pretty cool. And you did like this um, transcript of a, of a message, which was pretty cool. And it's, um, yeah, and like the intel you gave me also, you, it was accompanied by a picture of the table. And I studied a little bit so I I took it really serious to get my (laughs) get it in advance some uh, thoughts in it and the intel you gave me was like not precisely but like uh, it could be like between 5 and 10 guys of this and maybe some other forces and I did not really expect I thought it was like you for not being sure how you're gonna do the game because that's how I do it, usually, just like giving <laughs> vaguely information, and yeah, and when we played the actual game without spoiling a lot of things, the table was different setup. I only noticed it later while taking my references back and forth. This was pretty cool, and this was intentional, which was really nice. Yeah, that adds uh, an extra
3: element into it. That's yeah,
1: like chef's kiss. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, like yeah, Like reading the I was like this some um, Tsarist um PMC unit, like contracts guys. And had was obviously one character which was was called Dan and the other three had pretty cool thematic um call signs. Um which was like this some um, uh what's called rare material minerals for making batteries, which was <laughs> kind of funny. Cobalt and Lithium, um, not magnesium. What was it? I forgot already. It was like copper. You forgot too? Yeah, I see. It just popped up the window. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Just for, <laughs> a, a, a of the frantic typing. The backgrounds like, I go and remind myself what, I, what names I used. Um, yeah. So so just to, to briefly kick in, the, the thing I always used to love about running games, and, and this is less... This is actually something that you don't have to do in Scanning and Sanger. This works for any rule set, is if you're running a game for other people, like delivering them a briefing document two days beforehand so they have time to look at it is great because yeah. it puts their mind. It's, it's less like, oh, well, we're here to play a game. More like, okay, so I've had two days to look at this and go, oh, okay, so I've got my boys. I've got Colbert, I've got Lithium, I've got Nickel, I've got myself. Nickel, like, yeah. You know, and we've got this. We've got a job to do a vague idea of what's going on. Um. And it puts you in kind of the the narrative feel of this is the situation. How am I going to deal with it? What's going on? Uh, and then as a games master, you then lie to the players, like just full on. Just don't like give them information that is not entirely wrong, but has just enough wrong with it that if if they if they're looking, they'll notice. Hang on, that vehicle wasn't there, or those vehicles have moved, or you know, there's more guys moving around outside than there was on them on the UAV picture, or like. I'm aware there's a QRF coming but like I'm not sure like how many people are actually in that QRF or or if it's going to actually turn up on time or you know just any any little bit of realistic friction just helps to make people like get into the game a little bit more and get that feel of like okay like this is less we're moving figures around and this is more okay this is a situation we're going into um so yeah so I'm basically saying it's like if you if you run a game for people like adding just that little touch of just some information beforehand can just help to make it just a touch from we're here to play a game to you're here to experience this game in, in whatever way.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's not like you're getting a script for uh, play and you're just going through it so you'll have to yeah. random stuff which is pretty cool. Uh, like, and having a character named after me and having already going into the mindset that it's more like RPG ish, like we, in the last interview we had with you or podcast. Um, obviously, I don't want to just to bum rush in <laughs> and drop that, you know, like the Leroy Jenkins style. So I, I took it pretty serious, the game. I mean, we will go through the game and, and more or less step by step, not really. Um, If you're interested, go read up on Michael's blog, the full recap of the game. I'm just going to give my, how I felt um, with Sangin and situations, which I thought was really worthwhile to mention, or is worthwhile to mention, but yeah, to to come quickly back to the remote game thing, like, um, I used Michael's um, Intel picture, which he gave me in advance and popped up Photoshop and dropped it in. And I just made, like, estimated um, 25 mil circles. Um, he wrote in the character sheets, like, this character has a blue hat, this character has a brown hat, and so on. So I just colored the circles in the head's color and placed them around. So every time he, I, I gave a movement or, like, an action, actually not, but, like, a movement, I copied it on my Photoshop sheet so I have a clearer overview, which I will say or kind of think that it helped the flow a little better because I was always aware where the characters and the hostiles and civilians which were also around um, were and then it was just a question of distance and line of sight uh, it was pretty easy and worked really well we had also can we mention it already?
2: I was just going to quickly add in um, as the person running the game having the lo- having the remote player keeping track of it all also helped because it meant there was less, oh, can you remind me where my troops are? Um, Which is obviously like, okay, let me move the camera out. Let me move around. <laughs> it was just, it just helped me to sort a of focus on this how the game is going rather than having to keep track of so you are aware of where everyone is. So it is definitely, it's kind of those things that would be nice to sort of hand out and be like, here is a tool to assist in, in where these in people are. But it's definitely useful that you decided to do that because it, it, it was less for me to worry about.
1: Yeah, I mean... Obviously, you don't need to use Photoshop, but it's like the one where I had different layers. So if I move the... I can just grab the tokens and move them around on my screen. So this was... Yeah, there's probably better options or solutions you could do. it. But um, yeah, I'm going to spoil it later. <laughs> um, yeah, so this uh, was one thing I wanted to mention. And reading here up on my notes. Uh, yeah, like when we were playing... Um, like I said, with this role-playing aspect in that mind, I kind of, based off my decisions, like in a logical manner, like if this, we had like one situation where my marksman had... he Yeah, I think, no, it was like an, the the other character, I think it was Nico. He moved and we had like the situation, a really rare or low probability that he get um, spotted, and he did got spotted from someone on the balcony, and this guy popped a shot at him with a pistol and missed, and obviously, like, I, I was thinking, like, okay, how would the situation go in, in, in a real, if it was a real situation, and then obviously the marksman, which was nearby, would see the, the muscle flash. Actually, I don't know, was it by day or was it by night? I think we played it by day we don't This is see. kind
2: of dawn like, yeah, like so it was kinda of like it wasn't full on night, we weren't playing the night rules, but it was definitely um less about visibility but more about sort of how, how characters react. So yeah, we definitely went for like a, a dawn setting.
1: Yeah. So I thought like, okay, he's gonna see the muscle flash and obviously gonna react to it. So he I popped a shot and I think I wounded him pretty hard and the guy crawled away. And then in the next turn we had you had like um hostiles moving at in the line of sight, in terms of miniature visibility, moving towards those two guys. But I thought, okay, it doesn't make sense that he's magically gonna see this guy running, you know, not in his um, like eye angle when he was looking through the scope. And there was a like second guy on the balcony and I rather decided to pop a shot on, on, on this guy instead of the other one, which would be maybe more beneficial for me in a playing sense. So I think this is something depends on the people or on the player itself, how you want to play it through. But this kind of underlines again that it's not like me playing versus you. It's like we playing, simulating the story with our decisions, which is awesome. It's like really what I always hoped for. Like Sengen, okay, i just going <laughs> to throw it out there. Sengen is what I always wished... Spectre is, but is not. So I'm, yeah, you heard it here first. Probably not, but (laughs) yeah, I, I think this is going to be my, my main squeeze game in the future because it's just, I don't know, it blew so my, blew my mind with the decisions and everything. And I'm really hyped about it. And Colin, if you're listening. Motivate yourself, please. <laughs> Do us the yeah. favor, and if I uh, may interrupt, um, Mike
3: made a Michael made a comment earlier. Um, I don't know, a couple days ago, probably at this point, but he said that the more publicity and more press this game gets, you yes. know, it puts more pressure on yes. the publishers. You know, saying, "Hey, like there are people playing. Oh, maybe I should start working on this a little bit more
1: seriously." I'm I'm extremely hyped for it, and I I built already one table up because. I was not bored, but it was like an experiment, but I was already having my ideas like, ah, oh, if I could play Skirmish singing now, if I had the time or like the, yeah. Knowledge maybe, which is lacking, which Michael has, then I would play right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really, it's definitely really happy to sort of hear, basically like different rules work for different people. And I think that if you're, I think the narrative side, I think, if you want the narrative side and you can get past that first learning bit, then I think that um, Sangin is definitely that narrative rule set that a lot of people look for. Um, but at the same time, you know, even me as as the biggest fan in the world will look at it and go, like, no, there, is, there are places here that would slow you down in trying to learn this. Or if you're trying to teach to lots of people, or, you know, if you're bringing this to a club night that might, And you were playing people who didn't know it particularly well then there's obviously gonna be a lot of slowdown maybe some people not being too too quick to to get on board with it um so it's kind of like horse it's kind of like finding finding which which game works for you
1: yeah and that's that's the thing i'm saying like this is the the game type and narrative type i'm looking for so for me it's just mm, what's called Mm, head on the nail yeah
2: yeah
1: hits the the nail on the head yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah I don't know and like this um, evolving the the, the the world the storyline and, and having the setup and like oh what happened here matters in the next game and I'm yeah. really excited for us having the next remote game I'm really like looking every day in the chat like ah, when he's gonna write what I'm gonna do next week <laughs> yeah. yeah because pretty cool so yeah something else I can add um yeah just what Michael mentioned like obviously I'm speaking only about the version 2 I have no idea about version 1 it's probably more complicated like you said version 2 is more streamlined like every second version of something is a streamlined iteration um, but it's I feel it's a way easier game to play than Spectre because maybe because there's not so much stuff in in it yet but having just, I just had like this one page from the QRF open, with the actions, and like the values and my character cards to track my suppression and like the tempo, which is spendable currency, so to say. So obviously I need to subtract it and add it. Um, it was super easy and really into into it into intuitive? intuitive, yeah. Intuitive, yes. You got it, buddy. Uh, yeah, always the, I have always the German or even Portuguese <laughs> word in my head and then it gets a knot and <laughs> will not come out correctly. But, As yeah. I've said
3: before, ask me to speak some German to you and you'd just
1: be <laughs> laughing. What eigentlich you machen? A bit of reden. Good day, good day. Yeah. <laughs> nah. No, but uh, yes. Yeah. Ben, you want to ask, comment? I mean, you have watched, like you said, the game, half of my game and half of...
2: I mean, we, we could talk about the, the demo game we had planned for Ben and then how yeah. Ben suddenly changed shape and name just as the game started and someone else jumped in.
3: Yeah, I, or we could save it for him because uh, he wants to come on at some point uh, if he wanted to.
2: Um, Let's just say that we, uh, if, if you look on my blog, you'll notice there are two demo games I played quite recently uh-huh. with very similar looking forces yes, and, uh, and that was the second demo game and and uh, let's say there is a third one I'm currently planning, which I think will be a quite interesting sort of showing you what what the game can do because we've already had sort of two ways of playing it now a third one so with always these three together I think should be a quite good introduction to just what you can do with the rule set. So
3: yeah, I'm, I'm very excited, and um, one of the things that Dan and I have been talking about is if you're a member of the uh, Ultra Modern Discord. We put up a new section that really hasn't been used yet, but it's called the stage. So we're hoping that once we become a little bit more fluent in the rules, that uh, we'll be able to put some games out there um, and get some eyes on uh, some miniatures and whatever. Because um, I know that I have the stuff to be able to run a remote game and I'd be all about that. So now that we're gaining some experience as a, as a group of players, um, we can kind of disseminate the information and whatnot. So uh, looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to my demo game. Um you yes, know, uh, reading Michael's after action, uh, yeah, it definitely wet my palate. And then um, <laughs> watching this this other uh, game go down, uh, I had us, we had this all lined up, and it's amazing that we got like three different time zones to uh, the time zones just lined up just perfectly. We're like, "Yep, we could do this." And then like thirty minutes before we were supposed to play, my air conditioner blew up at my house. Um, so uh, it was great. Um, adult life strikes again, but. Um, I was able to kind of watch as I was waiting for the technician to come and um, it, it did have a little bit different feel and it was cool seeing the different playing styles between Dan and this other player <clears throat> and <Yeah>. the um, <laughs> possible reckless behavior or not um, you know of people involved uh, it's just interesting to see different people's playing styles
2: um, yeah kind of coming I mean out. one thing I really quite liked about the fact it was a remote was that like you yeah, know we could just say oh wait let's change play now like the original plans out the window because you know real real life happens. And rather than it being like, oh, okay, well that means this guy can't, you know, my, my opponent can't drive over to me and has to go home and do it's just this case like, right, cool, jump on Discord, change who's running, uh, swap out a name just to just to change the the effect of it. Um and suddenly yeah we you know this you know we got another player brought up to speed. Uh I actually think the um it actually worked out quite nicely because a the, the different scenario kind of made sense to have like less forward planning of what was going on versus Dan's, which obviously was like quite sneaky and you guys infiltrating, and this one was a lot more like reacting on the fly. Um, oh, crap. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and then that game worked out really nice, really, really, really well, and I think uh, it's, it's definitely sort of promising to see push out the more, and perhaps even as say have it on the stage, once I get everything together and, and sort yeah. it out for future games. Um, so yeah, it's I'm really glad how excited how excited everyone is to, about this Um and be able to, to bring more people into the into playing it.
3: For the record, Michael, I didn't want to like obligate you or like uh, sign you up for doing those, but uh, I'm glad to hear you are uh, <laughs> interested in running it.
2: Look, I need content for Patreon. I need people to give me money for a reason other than just and uh, put some models together this month and have fun.
3: Well, I'm uh, happy to provide for myself because I've one of, I'm one of your Patreons. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I guess I can I can give myself some entertainment. Um, but if you're not a member of Michael's Patreon, he does have some really cool. Uh, projects out there and kind of his thoughts about different things that he's doing. And um, it's kind of cool to see behind the curtain, if you will, um, with his projects and stuff. So check that out if you get a chance.
1: And if you're reading his blog, just throw him a few bucks to get his next fix on a Pepsi.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's not coffee. We're buying him Pepsi.
1: He's providing a his Pepsi. service for free. And we know yes, he is. that everybody who's listening and is intro modern. Is doing ultra modern because they read Michael's blog. So <laughs>
3: it's almost to a person. They're all like, it's, I yes, I've read Charge Blog. Look,
2: yeah. You guys you guys think it's funny. It's terrifying. Just one of people are like, Oh yeah, I'm going to you because this is like, I'm an I'm not someone who's I'm an idiot. I just <laughs> happen to play these ultra <laughs> moderns and write and have and have the ability to write about them because I spent too much time on it. But yeah, i I'm glad I'm I'm really I'm at the same time I'm kinda of happy that people are definitely getting into it um and playing more. So Absolutely so to see.
3: Yeah. So, kind of um, building on our conversation about now that we're into the beta of V2, um, you know, this game has been around, again, as we said, for nine years. It's not just the core rulebook out there, right? There are expansions uh, to this.
2: Yeah. So, let's. I'm going to tell you a story about book releases. I'm going to start from just after the main rulebook all the way up to effectively the last stuff I did for Skirmish Sangin. Um So, first of all, we had Dispatches 1 and 2. Uh, and these were effectively like the the expansion packs they brought new rules new orbats new scenarios into the base game so they added things like helicopter rules they added um different forces like like the german army got an orbat the uh, 611 militia which i believe is a historical group involved in road building in afghanistan uh got its own militia like sort of basic information which was kind of then using the scenario in that same book. But I mean, as well as things like that, then expanded out the Taliban element of the original rulebook to then include a bit more, some more variation. So giving you options like um, having a spotter in amongst a herd of goats, which effectively you could use to block um, the, the ISAF player's line of sight or like stop them from being able to shoot through that area while you moved your guys around things like rat lines um so all of these little extra tools which help to sort of give like make your time force feel a little bit more um unique and varied LV. yeah yeah and you know make it feel a bit different to the to the to the core force yeah um i think the other thing is that alongside these dispatches they also released some free add-on scenarios um and they're all on the website and they kind of vary from one of my favorites, which is, uh, I think it's called Mouse Hunt, which is basically um, the Op 4 consists of a sniper and a spotter, and they can bounce between um, sniping spots. And against them is a whole US Marine squad, so that's 13 guys. Uh, and that's a very different style of game from some of the others, uh, which is like, one of them is like an um, Australian section that's sorting across a field when they have a Bushmaster providing support. Uh, and these different scenarios kind of helped to then take the game on a little, a little bit longer, but was still set in the Afghan setting that the core book was. Um, so after that, they then did uh, Melanti Rangers, which I'm probably saying it wrong, but it's basically the Black Hawk Down book. And that took you from, or took you back to the early 90s in Somalia, gave you a set of, of missions based around the events of Black Hawk Down and a few things around it. Um, Gave you details for both the uh, the Rangers, Delta guys. Some mention of Navy SEALs alongside you as, as that group. And then also gave you the African militia, which had lots of similarities, but then also added like mobs, which which was a quite... So a mob in skirmish Sangin is 20 figures, and all oh. of them activate individually. And oh. it was kind of... I mean, to be fair, the civilian figures activated and didn't do a huge amount, but it was very definitely like a... You're doing a, a quite large game if if you're including forces like this, um, but it did definitely help to give you that sensation of having to deal with the whole city coming alive, effectively. Um, and I quite like it Rangers. It's got some very cool scenarios. It obviously has um, some which are definitely more historical, and then there's the uh, the Hollywood uh, Mogadishu Mile, which is a very specific setup for you know at the in the ending of Black Op Down. Um, it does also feature, I think, a very one which I, which is, which I would love to see being played more, which is uh, the two Delta snipers um, defending the crash site. And that's a really interesting one because it's it's not just like, here's two heroic guys, I'm going to fight everyone off. It's actually like, two heroic guys, and you have to then deal with the fact that it's only two of you versus a big group of, of forces coming into it, of your position. Um, and even if you do, you are um, skipping morale checks and doing things like that. You still have to deal with how am I going to handle all of these guys coming towards me? Um, so it just sort of put you in the boots uh, and, and get that sensation. Um, so then, after going historical, but still in Africa, um, Ready Dash will release the book Africa, which is a alternate reality Africa. So using the same geography, same rest of the world but then tweaked the nations to sort of give you a, a bit of a um sort of different setting to play off um and they went into detail fully including information on different forces different what each nation's up to what their uh, regular troops look like um, and then gave you some scenarios to go with it as well as rules for the Africa militia reprinted but with a few new little additions um and uh, there's a cool scenario there, written by this Michael charge guy. Who it's a quite good. It's one I actually wrote as a as a a, a learn to play scenario because it is four PMC contractors versus a bunch of criminals pushing in on their location. So it was like a very easy one to, to set up and, and do on like a like a two by two even even sort of square, um, and definitely showed off what Sangin sk- can do in a a small small area. Fun side note.
1: Um, like the Africa book like I mentioned earlier in this um, episode uh, which I'm basing my fictitious Africa on when I had the real intent to play Sangin I had actually your mission picked out to play without being aware that you made <laughs> the mission as my like introduction game because it seemed so yeah like I could wrap my head around so yeah kind of
2: funny can't say but I'm blushing slightly yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, so yeah, so and and for me personally, effectively, that was my first big contact with Radio Dish Station in a way, other than just here's a here's here's this one scenario. So I then released a scenario with um, for free online. we released a second, or the other, released, yeah, we then released another one with uh, werewolves for Halloween, and then we made um, plausible deniability which is the Special Forces supplement for um, Skirmish Sangim, which was all about, you know, part of it was, like, bringing you, you, you Special Forces toys, giving, like, flashbangs and things like that, sort of rules we reprinted, and we added in auto shotguns and molotovs and, like, fire and, like, a lot of stuff that, which, th- which was, like, just appearing in Skirmish Sang. Oh, sorry, sorry, Inspector at around the same time. And I sort of was like, well, I want to play this in this other rule set. So sort of thought about how would that work in the um in the skirmish Sangin setting. So they made some tweaks. And then obviously the big thing about our rule book is it's packed full of scenarios. We did we did a literal ton for that book. And they're all sort of kind of inspired by um either real world or by fictional. So lots of games, lots of lots of movies, um but then all sort of made to be a bit more kind of plausible, but not not quite in the same way, but yeah, so so it uh, was a book I very much enjoyed working on um, and then it came out and there hasn't been much on it since because I think it came out just as Skirmish Sangin was kind of... People were still playing it, but it wasn't quite as, as popular as it might have been. Uh, and with all that, that's pretty big stockpile of like Skirmish Sangin stuff you can play. Like if, Even if you never made your own scenarios, that's a, that's a big pile of scenarios to play through.
3: Yeah, I know that I kind of got my start getting the Africa book and, uh, the deniable operations book, um, plausible diet deniability. Um, you can get them both in physical form and you can get them in PDF. Uh, so check that out. I think the PDF I was looking earlier for most of them is like 15 American dollars, U S dollars. So, um, definitely check that out. If it's something that interests you, you don't have to wait. You get it immediately. Um, definitely worth investing in. um, so one thing that we had talked about before is so there's this big bank of scenarios and special rules and everything is that usable now with the version two beta like is that gonna jive
2: um do we know yet so from my brief look over I think the basics are still there so like you'd still have like the basic troops um mm. like the n- numbers and uh and that setup I think would Still work okay. Uh, I think the main thing is you probably have to re roll a lot of the character stats because sure the character creation method has changed since then. But in terms, and also there's a few mechanics like there used to be a morale mechanic which was a specific number, so it's so a morale check that's, that's now been changed to the suppression values you deal with. Um, some of the so it's so like, like it's they probably would work very well as an inspiration. And you'll be able to use them as a much more direct inspiration than you would be like if you were using them for kind of Spectre based off of those books. Sure, um, but there is definitely a little bit of conversion work to go into them. Um which which I think, you know, it's one of the things that like if your options are backwards compatibility or take full advantage of a new system, you're gonna pick the new system most times just to keep yeah, people absolutely. playing.
3: Well, and you know, like you have kind of told us, there's a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, that's not I think anybody who's played war games or any RPG games, I mean, it's, you know, that there's a little bit of work on the front end. This one might be a little bit more than your plug and play, like Spectre is, where you might just talk about the mission or have something printed up, you know, generating characters and whatnot, but it's really not that much work. I mean, it's basically like a D&D character, right? For the most part, is what I'm kind of getting.
2: Yeah. Um, effectively, when you build a character in version two, you are, first of all, you pick an experience level. Um, so that's either civilian, average, veteran, uh, or elite. Oh, sorry. Correction. My brain's forgetting the important ones. Civilian, which is basically no training at all. Novice, A little bit of training. Sort of. Um, uh, Western forces don't get to pick novices because it's assumed anyone that's in the combat zone has had their six-month basic. So that would make it an average. Uh, then you've got veteran, and then you've got elite. And obviously, these are all chosen on a character level. It's not like all everyone of his forces veteran or, or whatever. So you pick it on a character. You then pick an experience package, um, which determines your starting values. And then for each of your skills, you then roll up to see how much extra you add on top. So, for example, in, um, when you're playing as a, a veteran character, that's 4d10. You roll and then add to each value. So that's potentially giving you a quite large area of just how how much better they can be over starting stats. Mm-hmm. Um well, in contrast, a civilian, no, a novice would roll like one d10 um, to then add to their stats. Sure. So that's sort of well, it would be a little. There's a little bit of variation, but it's not quite as extreme as it could potentially be once you get higher up. So, and of course, you're doing this for each character. Each character has four or five stats, um, and then the final thing to roll is like the, is their initiative value, which is then modified by if you're wearing body armor or not. So,
3: so you're talking five minutes per character, probably for. Per-
2: Yeah, and then then you have to fill two sides full of characters, and suddenly it's yeah, it's it's definitely. It's one of those things where it's like every time I have to do it, I'm kicking myself I haven't developed that character generator just yet. (laughs) Um, But it is definitely it's definitely not the long like you're not like oh well what abilities do I get to choose you you never have that like um, the. Character building uh, paralysis you can get like in an RPG game where you're like okay so I've I built the basic character but what stats or like what add-ons do I give what abilities it's just like no you just you roll roll up the um, basic stats and add some guns and that's it
1: you don't have any attachments so saves time yeah (laughs) not yet (laughs) so it kind of sounds like
3: um, much like Specter where you can play with anything you can think of you know you can kind of slot that into the civilian novice average veteran elite anything you can like if you want to play if you want to do heat you know could you do a scenario like that like a bank robbery
2: yes you should no uh you should look in a certain book uh no but um (laughs) yes it's very easy to i mean this is the reason why I, i like Sangin so so much is it is a you know you roll you generate your forces based on what you think their rating should be so for Heat, you would probably think, okay, well, you know, I know the, the two main guys are going to be elites because they are top of the range, good to go. Uh, not to badmouth Tom Sizemore, but I don't think he's, he's quite the elite. I think I'd give him like veteran status rather than um elite. You know, you would then sort of play around with that. And then what this means is, effectively, when it comes to building forces, you there's a lot more kind of granularity. So in some of the books, they have mentioned stuff like a basic infantry section would be entirely average. So it's everyone who sort of, they're not fresh off the farm. They've done, they've got a little bit of knowledge, but they're not kind of 100% accustomed to the area. Uh, if you're going for a slightly more elite group, you would then sprinkle in more veterans. You might even have entire sections that are just groups of veterans, or you'd you always go that level. Um, if And I think in several scenarios, you even have like maybe the squad leader is actually an elite rating. And then there's some veterans that sort of is, is tier above, tier below, and then, the bulk of a squad's um, made up of of average characters, uh, and then of course on the other side, if you're playing insurgents, then you know if you're building up a force that one agitator's turned up and paid a bunch of farmers to go fire potshots at the at the, the foreigners with him, then you might have one guy, one of the insurgents, be a veteran and surrounded by civilians who are probably not going to be very good when it comes to a fight, but you know. They do understand that they are the basic soldier you can have running around, and they have their own skill set. And that force will play very different to if you turn up with your tier one insurgent guys with MVGs and body armor, and you're basically a not quite as well trained version of the guys you're up against. And that is something that you can set up and run. The current rules don't have points for giving night vision out or giving body armor out because it's all based around. Anyone playing ISAF gets body armor, assault rifle, and grenades. Anyone playing Insurgents get assault rifle. Um, but if you, but if you're a crazy lunatic like me who doesn't really use point systems much and sort of goes off what I think works out, what, what, what would be cool for a scenario, then there's mm. plenty of little toys in the toy box to sort of dish out for characters.
1: Sure. You also did some stuff. I saw some tables that appeared at some certain page for certain add-ons.
2: Yeah, uh, I have. Sorry, I feel a little bit iffy, kind of. So, uh, so basically, I know I'm fully aware of this rule set is still in production. I don't really want to be standing on their toes and being all like, "Aha, I know better than the rule writers!" Ha ha ha. Um, but I have done some personal house rules that I'm sort of using for my own games. Um, some of which are just changing in terminology to make things a bit easier for me to remember. Some of which are about. How does night vision? How does, how does combat and night work? Which is sort of the next one I'm working on. But the main one at the moment has been like a weapons list, uh, attachments for those weapons. Um, so it's not quite as like fully intricate, lots of special rules, as something like say Spectre. But it does then give you an option to think to build a force that gives you kind of more of a, a variety of what's available, um, as yeah. well as tweaking some weapons to handle more like. Based on my readings, they should do so things like uh, DMRs and weapons like the LS, like like support weapon or the M27 being kind of like an assault rifle if you're using it at close range. But if you want to like put it in a position and use it for its main purpose, it, it does still then work out as a suppressive weapon to longer distance and things like that. So mm. so are up on my wiki, um, which I'm sure will be linked linked somewhere. But I I just sort of it's one of those things where you get really excited about a rule set and then you start writing your own stuff up about it.
3: Well, in, in, in fairness, you know, it's a big part that's missing right now. And just because it's a beta, you know, um, everybody's like, well, I got a bunch of minis with pistols and, uh, some machine guns and shotguns and, you know, like I want to play with them. And I think that that makes it interesting. Not everybody has an assault rifle. Um, so, uh, unofficial, but, um, it sounds like they might be continuing to work on those things and tweak those things in, in their own way. So, um, Dan, you also took a look at these books do you have any
1: uh anything any input on? Them? Yeah, um like I got the the Africa book and the um, Black Hawk Down one and the plausible deniability not the p- deniable thingy which I wrote down <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of threw her off I think <laughs> but um yeah, something well especially like the Africa book is the one which I had probably I don't know, at least once a a week open (laughs) and flipping through it uh, as a PDF. Um, And what I really liked on the books is like they have in the back some minor tutorials for like doing terrain, um, which are not like "Mm, you use this material and this and then you have your terrain. So they're like, I'm not really sure about like measurements roughly and how they approach the thing and what colors would be great. So that's something which is really cool for a very thematic book. To have in, like, especially like if we're taking Africa, which has a lot of shanty town things. And I can, like, I, I catch myself in a situation like, okay, I have a lot of corrugated paper cardboard, but what now? <laughs> so, how just, how I have like, obviously, I couldn't Google some pictures and everything, but having like a little, this is an example how you can build it. already really helped me a lot to. Wrap my mind around it, and for people who are not so fortunate, especially with um, 3D printing, this is a great thing, and I really appreciate it. And I think in the Black Hawk Down one is also one in the end. Not sure, but I guess some Shanty Town shacks stuff. Yeah, so just something really cool, and yeah, nothing actually to add besides like the the Africa book is crazy in terms of like the political and like how the the countries. Which like like Michael said it's the the continent as we know it, but the borders are divided with different countries, and like how the country's situation is and like I know that the equivalent of Congo has a lot of um rare earth materials and the other one is like the poor one and the other one is more the yeah, I don't want to spoil it. Get the book. It's brilliant. Even if you're not playing Skirmish Sangin or Sangin. Um, I bought it initially for Spectre. The same why I got the plausible deniability to have some inspiration just like, ah, okay, I can do this or that. Yeah. Um, yeah, get them. Buy them. <laughs> Nothing to add here. <laughs> yeah. So my opinion versus Spectre, I have on my notes. Mm-hmm. I think we got this kind of covered. covered all of it, yeah.
3: Yeah. So, you know, that was our not-so-short look at Skirmish Sangen. And um, I, for one, I'm really excited. I don't know if that translated to you, Michael. Like, I, I'm excited about our game, so can we do this soon? Um, I, I'm excited to give it a shot. Uh, I think it's got a lot of fun toys with it. It's got a lot of... It's it's how I want a game to flow, it seems. Um, from an outside looking in, again, I've observed two halves of a game and read Michael's battle reports, but it just has that really cinematic grab, and um, I just really, really like all the different options that you have as a player. Yeah, I
1: can agree. <laughs> you can sort agree, of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've played one game, and I witnessed one game fully and being sort of like the tracking monkey, <laughs> which was kind of just so... Little teasing one when, when we're gonna do the stage stuff so we're gonna have like my screen sharing showing the, the overview and the dice rules and things. But um yeah, I I love it. I'm I'm glad I didn't try it out myself because I think this was the best way to introduce it to me, not only having the head honcho here, um giving the <laughs> the experience for me and such a nice time
2: <laughs> you can't yeah. call me the head honcho. Yes, legally, uh, legally, I'm, I'm nothing to do with Radio Dish Dash and I'll we'll get annoyed if I keep claiming I am. But no, I, I as a, so, yes, it's it's always happening to have someone who is experienced and someone who can, yeah, yeah, for sure, help for you sure. into it. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm definitely gonna put Spectre on the side. I mean, when if I find someone who wanna play it in in real life, which I haven't found until now, like all my friends are not so excited about it which maybe due to me not being so experienced with it back then with version one but yeah. um i, yeah, I think second, a little bit of
3: cleanup happened yeah a little bit of cleanup between the versions that that always helps and that was kind of one of my trepidations uh when i heard that there's version two coming out i'm like well i want to get into it but maybe i should wait but it kind yeah. of sounds like yeah, we're in exactly. a little bit of limbo but it's going towards version two and now with michael saying hey you can just go onto the facebook page and you can get the beta rules i mean that's stellar. Yeah. Um, so I, I am gonna check that out I have it uh, saved here um so I'll be checking that out and reading that and uh,
2: I think I think the final thing to mention with those those that that group is you know if you're on Facebook and you are interested in playing it like showing that support is gonna say like yeah there is a market for this um obviously with what's going on at the moment in the world um and with annual with kind of interest in ultra moderns for, for a lot of um suppliers is kind of dr- dropping out um you no know, people aren't that interested in playing that playing what's going on right now mm. um but i think that, it, that there is there is very definitely a space for Sangin v2 to, to fit into very nicely so uh so showing showing that support and when it's there i i would definitely as someone who's desperate to play it himself i would definitely say <laughs> come on let's like show that version two is, is something we all want
3: yeah absolutely um and i'm looking forward to playing some more remote games um it's cool to see the proof of concept and that everything flows smoothly from both sides and um you know dan clutch idea on having your uh photoshop up and being able to move around because that makes it easier on michael when he's you know um there's some good ideas all around so
2: or whoever else is running the game
3: Uh, or yeah i mean i i told our friend evan that i would run a game eventually and um He's pretty keen on it. So it's it's nice because, again, uh, Dan's in Germany, Michael's in the UK, I'm in the US. Um, Evan is in the US too, but he's, I don't know, like six hours away from me. So being able to have uh, a way to play these games is great.
1: And it's great remotely, as I said, works really nice. And to conclude here, this uh, except if you want to comment something else, um, like if you're if you're playing Spectre and you have all the necessary thing maybe you're missing the dice the D10 um, but you can back get this like for 5 bucks set of 10 probably on Amazon or whatever preferably your local game store to support them in still not the best times thanks to certain world events but give it a shot I mean come on you already have probably 10 rulesets which you haven't played once so What's gonna another make one? W- yeah, what's another one?
2: <laughs> this one's free as well. <laughs>
1: exactly. Free, That's the point. Uh, we are all missing here. It's free. It's on Facebook. Yeah. We're gonna drop the link in the description. Ben already said. Yep. Um Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Micah. There,
3: Dan. We did your sang s se- segment. Can we like
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: just just bump the brakes a little bit. No, just kidding.
2: Are you guys okay if I like hang around for a bit? Like it's It's raining outside, and I don't really want to have to run away just yet.
3: How far did you park your van? Like, is it like next door, or (laughs) is it like Uh, down by the park?
2: Your loading bay doors need some serious work in terms of locking, Uh, but (laughs) just, just ignore that for now. We'll we'll deal with that later.
3: And now it's time for jumper cables.
2: Wait, I didn't agree to stick around Oh great. I see how it is. You kidnap people once and they come back with their own kidnapping. Fantastic.
3: Well you have the van already here, so don't try and make excuses of how you don't want to do this because we know you do. Okay, did, fine. Did you bring the miniatures? <laughs> I feel like maybe we could get like either Yankee or Death Chrysler or somebody with the miniatures. We could we could get one of them in here.
2: Yeah. I am look, I'm gonna have to redo the stock of miniatures in the van because I May have started painting them in all that border. Ah,
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah, that happens when you wait how long between episodes.
2: Let's not talk about that.
1: But let's talk about some
2: questions,
3: some interview and interrogation.
1: Yeah. So after nobody sent us emails to ask about question, <laughs> we poked on the Discord, the business kind of. Um, not really, but we kind of asked if there's some stuff. And then really questions came in. So this is a new segment. We're going to do each episode, maybe individually. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like questions from users, fans, people who want us to talk about some stuff they're actually interested in. <laughs> but yeah, so let's roll. So we have kind of a bank
3: of uh, questions. Thanks to you kind listeners, uh, some topics that we could talk about. And we chose the first three ones that were suggested to us. Um, So the first one is from Festival Matt, and he asked us about homebrewing and uh, expanding rules, um, whether that's for Spectre or for Black Powder Red Earth or for potentially Skirmish Sagan now or any of your modern games, if we had any thoughts on homebrewing rules and kind of expanding what's already there. And I feel like, Dan, you've done a lot of this, and I, I know Michael's done a lot of this. I, I'm probably the, the one with the least experience, so I'm going to defer to you two before I give my answer
1: all this. So should we roll a dice, Michael?
2: Oh, I'll, I'll start. Oh, no, my I'll start off. Um, so, shockingly, this is, like, you've chosen the perfect episode to have me on to talk about this. But, yeah, I do a lot of homebrewing um, and expanding, and it's and it's less down to, like, Oh, the rules don't provide enough more down to I think there's always fun stuff you can do with the rules. Um I definitely have there's definitely one of the things like I wouldn't dream of homebrewing for a rule set until I've actually played played it a couple of times because you kinda of need to understand how the rules work before you go and start randomly adding on bits and, and extra elements. Um so I yeah, so I've done a fair amount. Um because I actually Shock horror, basically the plausible deniability was kind of homebrewing stuff we stuck on top of of Sangin. Um, I think that homebrewing rules is one of the best things you can do because it basically lets you turn a rule set you like and enjoy into exactly what we want it to be. Um and it was always that case of like not everything you homebrew will be good, but it's always worth trying because it's gonna be something that you've you've worked on. Um although I will say, when it comes to homebrewing, don't make it too hard for yourself. Like, if there's another rule set that does something cool, just steal it. Just like lift it off, use it for your own stuff. You know, if you think the fog of war cards from Force on Force, for example, are re- a really cool addition, then just you know take that idea and stick it in your own rule set, or stick it in Specter, or stick it in, in Um So, kind of it's one of the things I always say, I'm bringing like, don't do work you don't have to actually do if you can find it somewhere else and grab it.
1: Don't reinvent the wheel with Sounded all Yeah. So, I'm a big customizing guy. Like, I need always everything it needs to be a little bit special from miniatures to rules. But like, I follow the same rule. Like you said, if I've played the game and I know the rules and something I feel is missing or is not executed well for my tasting, I do this as well. Uh, maybe a big example, on, at least on Discord, is like my try to sophisticate Zona Alpha a little bit without being over cumbering for the players in terms of complicating it Um, which is uh, one big rule of mine like if you're adding something which gives more depth to the game think if it really adds to the game or if it's just gonna be tracking some excel sheet table and it's extra work and kinda slowing you down so this is one of my main principle which you should always follow and every time you make a rule get back and keep it in mind and make your cuts if necessary and yeah with speaking about character cards and stuff like this because we have it in our notes um, after having the privilege working with Martin on the Operation Dark Window a little bit and now the Escape from Tarkov stuff um, I think he's in, at least in my experience, the king of making character cards. Um, so that's definitely cool. And I think if you're, I'm, I wouldn't even call it homebrewing making character cards, it's just something easier to track and maybe give you more narrative to your game, whatever it is. Yeah, know, gaming aid. Whatever. Yeah, gaming aid, it's a good word. <laughs> but, um, homebrewing is awesome it's not even to satisfy your gaming needs but just to get your creative juices flowing and i think it's something i mean even coming up with your few custom scenarios some kind of home brewing yeah so yeah.
3: that's cool. i think that's what i enjoy most is coming up with add-ons the you know spectre is probably my main modern game which again am <clears throat> i coming to contention now thanks michael um but i think I get the most joy from making different scenarios and adding in scenario specific things. Um, I really liked when Spectre came out with the jungle supplement, for example, because oh, yeah. having booby traps was cool. Uh, punching sticks, for example, just the one that for whatever reason I remember, um, I think it's cool to add in those environmental things because that really tweaks your game. Another game that I play, I know Michael's going to cringe when I say this, but bolt action uh, and I play it because it's accessible for a world war two game. Even though I prefer chain of command, uh, but bolt action, um, has rules for weather that you throw in, and uh, we were playing a game in, uh, set in World War II on the Eastern Front in Russia and the Ukraine, and it was winter, and we had to contend with deep snow and fuel shortages. And adding those different elements, it changed the game completely from you know what it would be if we didn't have deep snow to limit our movement, and we had fuel for all of our vehicles to move around as we wanted. You know, you had to plan to use your resources accordingly. Um, so I think those are fun things that you can add into any game. And we're lucky that Spectre and Scrummer and games of that nature allow some sandbox that I think that there's, they allow for that to happen uh, very easily. I, um, hesitate when I want to change a rule only because it's, it can be hard to translate if you're explaining the game to somebody who knows the game, but hasn't played with your homebrew rules. You know, I'm not saying that There's not space for people to tweak rules and whatever, because I think that's great. And I think that's how the game grows. Um, But you need to be careful. You don't want to change the core of the rules because, you know, why don't you just play a different game if if that's what you're going for? You know what I mean? Um, You want to be able to speak the same language. And luckily, these games aren't games you're going to be playing in a tournament. But, you know, for example, again, with Bolt Action, hugely accessible World War II 28 millimeter game you don't want to tweak the rules too much because if you go to an event with somebody from two cities over, they might be looking at you like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, and I know that I only have so much space in my head, that as soon as I start adding stuff in, I'm like, yeah, the rule has always been this way. You know, this is how we play. And they're like, yeah, that's not how it's written. You're like, oh man, like <laughs> I kind of feel like a jerk, you know, like I, we are I don't want to cheat you or anything. So, you know, that's, I guess, one of my uh, feedbacks, you know, when I hear of homebrewing, um, but, you know, if it's just you and your buddy, you know, anything goes, you know, if you want to throw whatever in, as long as you have that agreement with each other, the gentleman's agreement that, um, you know, this is how we're going to play. And you both agree that go for
1: it. Yeah. And you, as you said, you need to make your opponents or co-player aware of mentioned rules to not surprise them, right. which is always. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't surprise anybody. It's not even fun for anybody. Taste. So. Yeah,
3: that's true. Just it doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah. And since you asked about Black, Powder Red, Earth, um, I started when uh, the first games I had with Black, Powder Red, Earth and got, like, really invested in it. I did start up making my own faction with the KSK guys from Comet Octopus, but I haven't pursued it more, but it's something which should obviously work. The, the most difficult thing is to balance it in all games, to not make it overpowered or underwhelming and nobody want to pick it.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of... So I kind of hesitate to start poking too much at Black Powder Red Earth. Not because I don't think the game's good, because I really like it, but that game definitely feels like it's been balanced for a very particular set of things that's going on. Um, it's it's not a sandbox. It is a a very specifically this force versus this force. And they've obviously done all the work to, to balance these two specific sides out. And that's the reason why the, the force building mission space is a very sort of it's it's not like a it's, it's a very defined box in terms of this is what this game can do and this is what it's designed to do um so i've kind of been a bit cautious about kind of like oh yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna design all these characters and, and rebuild all this in black Panther instead sort of change it all all around um what i would say is i think that when you see the next stuff coming from them i think understanding that space opening up will i think allow for perhaps some more interesting homebrews as people begin to understand slightly wider what what that rule set is like and what and what like sort of you i' it's a case of like we could go and poke the edges of it to see what cards wouldn't work, but it kind of seeing how the comp- how Echelon runs it, I think will provide a lot of like okay, so this is kind of the tenants which this rule set agrees to, which you don't really want to be change around too much
3: yeah, and it's a very new game, I mean they're releasing. Um, new unit types and they're releasing a whole new faction they leaked so there's a lot to come um so you don't yeah you don't want to invest too much in something that you know it might not work or, or whatever have you so
1: yeah something i can add on top is like a reason for me to do a lot of really going more into changing rules is because i have this problem i want to say that if something doesn't feel realistic to me then it bother, bothers me a lot and then i want to adjust it like one thing i started and i think this is kind of funny because that's uh, actually the the discussion the questions i i gave michael regarding the grenade stuff inspector that i wanted to add um optional turn turn that the grenade explodes in the end and that you can react to them and he said, "Like, mm, but Sengen can do this, and that's kind of where we, st- <laughs> where this circle closes." But um, yeah,
2: I mean, if you find yourself homebrewing the entire game, maybe the game isn't for you. <laughs> yeah, maybe you need yeah. to find something else.
3: You're trying to force the square peg in the round hole. Yeah. Yes, that's
1: true. But I'm oh, awesome. glad. I'm glad that I put up the the missing link. How are you gonna call it for Spectre? <laughs> the guy between um, what's professional and elites and people already said that's pretty cool and it works so yeah that's one yeah absolutely
3: so another question somebody asked us is something that uh, we all deal with but um, and this is war priest from the discord asking this he wanted to know how do people find their motivation to paint your backlog like how do you find your motivation to paint your backlog um, some of us have small backlogs, and some of us have really big backlogs. And I'm not looking at either of you two. You're looking in the mirror. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I am looking in the mirror. Um, and actually, at the end of this, I did find a really cool tool. Actually, I might as well just say it right now. One of the things that helps me is to be organized. And um, my friend always told me he had this adage. You know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And I try to live by that in all aspects of my life, but it's a super helpful thing for me in my hobby and being organized and as to what I um, have and what I'm interested in and what I'm working on. And I take the project that I'm working on and put it in front of me and try and put everything else out of eyesight because I know that when I go down for my hobby time, I don't want to look at it and be overwhelmed. So one of these, um, an aid that I found uh, from one of our, Uh, members on the discord chris he turned me on to brush rage which is an app for your phone and it's free and it has a lot of different um, aids to help miniature painters or miniature war gamers Um, one of them being that you can take your colors and you can catalog them so you're not buying multiples of your paint Uh, the next one being that you can track different recipes uh, with pictures and step-by-step tutorials and you can actually share them from the app and the third and most applicable to our conversation right now is that it has a um, inventory or a tracking app of your collection, and I think it's actually called collections in there. So you can say I have my um, my collection sorted into moderns and fantasy and uh, World War Two. Click on that, and then you can make another subsection of this is my modern Africa collection. This is my modern Middle East, and then x y and z Um, and then you can go into that and you can add another section saying that this is my very specific um africa regular forces alpha and africa regular forces bravo and this is my um 10 set of 10 prints from uh, misca miniatures or combat octopus that i have for africa and then you can track the progress of it whether it's uh, not assembled whether it's primed whether it's based whether it's painted. And it actually gives you a visual representation of everything on there. It's, it's really slick. But for me, um, I need to have things organized in order to be motivated to do stuff. Um, and one of the things that we've talked about before, Dan, on our podcast, and I think that we talked about this with Michael as well, is having um, different things that you get you excited about the hobby, whether it's... Um, you know, uh, a current event or if it's a movie or a video game or some other type of media, a book or a movie, um, just watching it and getting excited. We were just recently talking about heat and now I'm like, yes, I need to do my bank robbers crew. Um so that's one thing that I I always try to find something, um, a movie and then I'm like, oh yeah, I really want to do my thirteen yeah. hours compound and my vehicles and stuff, so that kind of gets me reinvigorated. Um so those are some of the kind of tricks that I use to get myself motivated to tackle my backlog. I wouldn't say my backlog is huge, but I would say I'm probably pushing 200 miniatures total uh, for my moderns. Um, You know, probably... Oh, yeah, Michael's giving me the... That's a rookie numbers. It's probably like 250. All right, I'll I'll say 250. Um,
1: But yeah. Really? You have less than me? I cannot imagine.
2: (laughs) So so what's really funny is that uh, you mentioned Brush Rage and how you can track... You know, is your collection painted and what's data set? Um so I actually built myself uh because i my day job is tech related, I built myself a database um which has all my figures in. So I can keep track of it, I can get the stats out, I can look at and you know, see see the progress through it. And I agree that um organization is definitely kind of stage one um of working through your backlog. Um but it, it, to add on to the whole kind of you you eat an elephant one bite at a time. There's very definitely a benefit to doing hobby little and often rather than being like, oh, well, I'll just save my painting for Friday. and I'll do it on Monday and do it. Um it. There is a stuff on, I think it's a hobby streak on Twitter and Instagram that I have done in the past. And don't they're they're do it at the moment because things are a bit busy, but having that motivation to just be like, okay, I'm going to do a, like 30 minutes of hobby, a little bit every day. You know, that turns painting a figure from you know, frantically rushing through it in one evening into stretch it out over a week to do every every stage. And that kind of slow grind can actually be better in terms of just keeping it going rather than like these mad sprints of, oh, I'm going to get having painted in one day. Um, I think the other thing is also to organize your collection into projects. So effectively you say, you know, I'm wanting, to, I'm wanting to play some games. What do I want to use for that game? Well, that can be a project. Or, well, I've got like a nice collection of um, World War II guys to make an army. I'm going to do that army. And then you work on that project and sort of work between them. And don't treat it as like a, I can only work on this project. I can't do anything else. I can never separate from this one thing. Can I treat it as like a guideline or a target? Because there will always be times when you're just like, I don't I've really fancy painting. I'm bored of painting brown. Which as a moderns and, and World War II player, that means you're bored of painting. So but so that's always a good time to go and do something else. So it could be do some fantasy or it could be um you know, try out vehicle or do some vehicles or do something just something to break the break up the pattern. Um one of the events of having a huge backlog is that you never have you never run out of anything to paint. So you can always go <laughs> off to try other things or you know, if you're just basically sort of keep the motivation up by doing by changing if you need to. Um, it's probably the main thing I kind of learnt from from having a uh four digit backlog. Um which I, don't recommend. I don't recommend well <laughs> nice. it's, yeah, it's it's definitely one thing to look at look at on a, on a spreadsheet and you go, that is too many models to have. And then you look for it and you're like, okay, I get why I have all these models, but still. Um so and there is of course another thing to mention about clearing your backlog, which is um don't add to it. I know that sounds like a real dumb (laughs) thing, but it's like, hey, maybe you don't need this model or maybe you don't need to buy stuff right now. And that isn't to say once you have a backlog, you can never add to it ever again. That's just to say um, sometimes as hobbyists, it's very easy to get excited about a new release and be like, okay, I need this right now. I need this stuff. And then you buy it and it goes into a box. And I can appreciate that, you know, there's a lot of pleasure to be had from having something new to look at and build and, and, and get ready to paint. Um, but sometimes it is worth just having that pause to go, you know, maybe I don't need this brand new this brand new army just yet. Maybe I can wait and come back to that later. Um, and then that helps to sort of slow, slow slow the backlog addition. And then once you're not adding to the backlog, then when you clear more out of it, it then feels slightly more uh, exciting and more satisfying to have have got stuff done.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing that I will mention, um, when you start having a nice backlog and you have a variety of different topics and whatever, if you get excited about something, potentially there's a good chance that you're going to have something already with that topic. Uh, So I do what I call my backlog shopping. So I'm like, oh, I really want some new modern miniatures. I'm like, oh, Spectre's got those new insurgents coming out. I'm going to make an order. Oh yeah, it's going to (laughs) be awesome. I'm going to get so much satisfaction. And then I'm like, ah, I sit and think about it. I'm like, you know what? I have some insurgents that I I have in my backlog. I should probably go grab those and at least start working those towards, you know, completion. And if I'm not completing it, I'm kind of scratching that itch that I have. Um, and if that's a little palette cleanser project, as Michael mentioned, then I can get back to my main project. I paint a couple of insurgents, then I get back to painting my World War II guys. You know, that's kind of one of the once you start to get a little bit bigger backlog, you can do that. I mean, you could do that at any level to be honest, but um, I guess we're just fortunate to have more choices. <laughs> no, we're not fortunate.
2: <laughs> Cursed. Cursed. Cursed
1: That's right. Word. yeah, I mean, I can only um, agree mainly with the organization part. I don't use any app and I don't have anything programmed myself. I'm a simple man of Google sheets, <laughs> I do have, um, one sheet. I'm only tracking. I'm not tracking every miniature. That's something I don't want to know, actually. <laughs> I'm just tracking the things so I don't buy duplicates. Like my, I have a specter list, especially considering it costs money and I, I'm not a fan of duplicates and I do have already duplicates. So I'm emphasizing this extra. Um, but what I do is I have, categorized in projects or like you said I'm preparing to play a game in my African setting to take this again so I need obviously faction for it so that's my main motivator currently to get this done and oh I do use an app I use Notion for which you probably heard already on this channel (laughs) Um, Sponsor's Notion (laughs) Uh, where I track my like With the initiative Or incentive from Ben Like he had this idea With our 2020s goal 2022 goal I'm kind of tracking There my projects Not the miniatures The projects And I'm always Like I cannot say Like I want to do this And then I can focus on it And finish it up There's like a moment um, Probably everybody has I get bored of it And I'm sick of painting This type of Like I'm super burned out on world war ii stuff and still holding on not motivated in painting anything and so i'm dragging my projects in and out on my list what i want to work on but i have this um kind of rule that it's not more than three different topics that i have at the same time active so i don't have five gazillion trays lying around the apartment which already is the case and it's I, today I managed no no joke. Today I managed to clear four trays and they're all stacked neatly onto one. So this feels already so good, which um, was mainly only putting them all on one tray. <laughs> but I mean I worked through it that some got more empty and yeah. So that's that's one thing. And what I do is I do um, ping pong on on types of things like what what you two mentioned or Michael mentioned that I do usually one week terrain stuff in front of the TV because it's more casually, more relaxed and I don't have to be so precise in working um, or painting or building or whatever. And I have days where I do the painting on the miniatures, which I do on my painting desk. And so I have like this um, escape when i board bored from one thing to the other and this helps with keeping it kind of balanced. But talking about the real motivation is definitely like I'm watching somebody else on YouTube paint or just going through Instagram, which I rarely do these days, but seeing other people, project ideas, paintings, or watching a battle report game from Travis, Tabletop CP, which is a big motivator, always like gets me something which gets you excited. It's really well said by Ben. You just need to get excited and then the motivation comes um, immediately and obviously the our Discord or the ultra modern Discord is big motivator when you see people crushing the backlogs and oh, I have this new idea. Oh, I just kid bashed this, I just painted that and da 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 so that's always great. And mm. and lastly the the Wednesday meetup we have, the midweek meetup, is my is a big motivator. It's I like hanging out with all the guys with you guys obviously as well. <laughs> Mostly <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. No um yeah, but I <laughs> showing me the finger. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you never show up on my timeline. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Um and I'm already going four AM to bed usually, <laughs> which is horrible. <laughs> but um yeah, it kinda like having this fixed date, it's maybe contradicting what Michael said, but it helps me at least to tackle my backlog and it gets me always hyped up to say like yeah, Wednesday i'm gonna paint i already have the ideas i started now writing in the in the specific chat like asking people what should i paint to give me some motivation because when i see like people are more excited for one topic it excites me also more and helps push through yeah absolutely absolutely
2: that's kind of want to make about the backlog is like um it's very easy for you to look at your backlog and start like oh, oh it's so big i'll never do it like just the, the quicker you start on it and the quicker you enjoy working away way for it, the, the quicker it goes. So don't ever let a huge backlog kind of sit there getting you worried, like stressed out about, I've got so many models to paint. You know, just think of it as a positive. Like, you've got so many models to paint.
1: And you, pay, you bought them already. You don't have to shelf any money out. Yeah. But the big key is prioritizing. That's all. In, every, yeah. in everything in life, which you need motivation for. Just prioritize your task, what's more important what you need time management soon. Yeah. And pull through no half assed, starting here, painting the faces and then doing this, this just Yeah. So our last question comes from our buddy, Paul,
3: Palladius, And he's asking us what are our must haves for the hobby? You know, if it's paint, scenic materials, tools, whatever, what could we not live without? Dan you wanna start us off with this one.
1: Yeah. Um right off the bat, the thing I never wanna miss again in, in I mean we are talking our hobby, like you said, about everything, but the wet palette is something I really don't wanna miss and I think it's something you really should consider getting if you don't wanna if you don't have the money to buy one. Check on YouTube, there are like tons of tutorials how to build your own stuff you have probably lying around at home anyways. Super easy. And it's super easy, and I used um, a, one which I built up on such tutorial for one and a half years and just bought one because, yeah, I thought I'm going to treat myself. <laughs> um, that's one thing. The second thing is uh, CA glue. <laughs> St- tons of it. <laughs> and, yeah, the a, a color range, which you appreciate. Like I'm a big fan of Vallejo paints and army painter stuff. And I don't want to change it for anything because... But maybe that's not a must have. That's maybe just like me personally thing, but having a good range with colors, you feel comfortable. Keeping on the painting thing, um, a good light. I will consider this as well. Like generally for painting and building, to have to actually see what you're doing and it's not giving you eye fatigue or strain or headache or anything. So don't skimp on your light. That's probably even more important than <laughs> wet palette, I'm gonna say. Um proper brushes. I I have some sable kolinsky brushes which I got by a friend. Um I didn't bought them myself and they're like it's day and night difference using those cheap ass revelt brushes for a few which are just like I don't know Yeah, they don't work at all. And yeah, PVA glue <laughs> for all your terrain's needs and basing. Uh wood glue, whatever you can grab, the cheapest one is good enough. Um, scenic materials tools, what else? Like um what's it called? Uh the
2: To uh, to squeeze in before Dan covers up covers everything on his desk um I was glad you mentioned with scenic materials uh I think the Luke APS um materials uh sort of the flock flock combination is kind of I mean you know other brands exist but having a good Scenic base mix is kind of the um it's it's something that is is like Buying that stuff rather than trying to just use sand and paint it or whatever is such a, an improvement in how my models look and feel. Um, but I think it's like a must-have to find whatever scenic materials you, you, you have and just get them. Because you can spend all the time painting the model to be the best at one in the world, but at the end of the day, it has to go on a, on a base. Uh, and unless you're using see-through bases, which is a choice, uh, if you're doing any form of scenic material on the base, like having a good selection which you don't even have to bother with like carefully applying using applicators or whatever you just simply PVA dip model in pull it back out and it comes with a collection of flux and fake foliage and rocks you know that saves you time at the end that I think just speeds it up um, and I think that's kind of like a, a must have in my book um so yeah definitely worth spending either even the money to buy it or the time to build your own combination but then building but then having that as a good-to-go rather than having to always be worrying about, oh, I need to go and get some more. That's kind of like my must-have. I think Dan covered a lot of mine. Uh, I will say I am a big believer in painting handles, Um, be that the Games Workshop ones or be that making your own. Um, I bought mine because it was a time when it was kind of easy for me to buy stuff rather than spend time building it all up. Um, And I think that just having them... As both a combination of like, this is the models I'm working on, but also then having the ease of use of having them in the hand is definitely what I recommend. Um, I think apart from that, the idea of a must-have I really have is just Agrax Earthshade. Like, the Agrax Earthshade wash from Games Workshop is pretty much all of my models end up with at least a coat over the model to sort of bring the colors together and to make it look, you know, my painting style, I think I've described in the past as gears of war slash 2006 video game era but also 2010 era video game but I, I definitely like to have the washes to help bring all the colors together
3: absolutely i will echo uh both of you um you covered a lot of good things uh, especially with the light dan and with the washes and shades those are easy mode <laughs> things uh we also call that uh, talent in a bottle, liquid talent, <laughs> shades. Um, well, you prefer Agrax. I have that in my arsenal, but I also have... Um, I prefer to use Army Painter's Tones. Uh, so I like to use Soft Tone and Strong Tone and Black Tone. Um, I just find that it gives me a more consistent wash uh, for my style of painting. Um, but absolutely, those are must-haves for anybody who's painting. I was actually just jotting some notes down. Uh, some things that, I guess... You guys didn't cover, Dan, you kind of covered it with the glue, um, but I have a glue, I don't know if they sell it in Europe or the UK, but I we have a brand here called Eileen's Tacky Glue, and I use it to put together all of my MDF stuff, and what's nice about it is that the glue, you can put two pieces together and put glue on it, and then it, it will stay in that position while it's wet until it dries, because it, it's got a tackiness to it. It's not like um, Elmer's glue where you put them together and if you let go, it'll fall off. Um, and it's I, what I do is I'll, I'll put glue on one piece, attach the other piece to it, then I'll take a wet brush and I'll wipe up the excess glue and then it's good to go. It dries clear and it holds really strong. So that is one that my buddy suggested to me and I have used it ever since. Another thing I like to use is Green Stuff, uh, cheap addition uh, to your arsenal for, uh, I use it for mounting miniatures, uh, especially the miniature metal miniatures to bases. Um because it makes a nice hard yet slightly flexible uh, bond when you use it with super glue. So it it if it, it takes a jolt by falling onto the table, it won't snap off immediately. It, it gives just a tiny bit, just enough to cushion it. Um it's actually kind of cool how that works. Um but you can also use it for sculpting and filling in gaps. If you're popping heads off guys, it's useful to sculpt the necks back on or put scarves around them. Um so uh green stuff is definitely a must have for me. Um, I use my apps really heavily. I've used Brush Rage, and then I use another app called Miniature Painter Pro. And we cover Brush Rage, but Miniature Painter Pro. It's, again, free, but you can take any picture that you take, or you can take one off the internet, and you can pop it into the program, and you select the brand of paints that you have or have access to, and then when you pull the picture up, you can click a spot on the picture, and then it'll tell you what paint you have that matches closest to that color and it gives you a variance of like five different colors that are closest and it actually shows the shade next to that that pixelation picture it's it's really slick so i highly recommend that um for anybody and that's another one that i'll, I'll give chris a shout out again he found that and it's super useful one thing that i would say is not a must-have but is a really 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 nice to have is an airbrush and i use my airbrush um, primarily for doing base coats and varnishing um, and i varnish every miniature that i use um and play with because i want to make sure that the paint job stays attached to the miniature um, also primer make sure that you're priming your miniatures uh, that's like a must so be using primer but my favorite uh, varnish to use is vallejo Mecha matte varnish and it goes on clear and for some reason i think that it has this effect on the colors where it makes it more vibrant yet toned down i don't know what it is if it's just tying all the sheens together or whatever, but I love the way it looks. And it's also dries to a super hard finish. It was made for um, Mecca, uh, Gundams and stuff like that. So where people are handling and moving joints and whatever, it dries to a super hard finish that is really true to color. So I think that that's a must have. Um, And I find that that is best applied with an airbrush, although you can brush it on. So I think, you know, between what you guys said and those things,
1: that's, those are my hobby must haves. Yeah, I think it just brought some other ideas. Uh, like the, the primer thing, absolutely. Like I, I definitely don't gonna want to change my Vallejo surface primer for miniatures. I think it's the best. I don't like the Rattle Can stuff because the smell and tackiness and something. This is definitely one I will never skip. <laughs> I could work uh, live without probably, and. Um, what is that varnishing? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the airbrush is legit, but yeah, I, I'm on. I think Michael, we had the same head movement when you said airbrush, <laughs> which was kind of funny uh, with the acknowledging and confirming. Um, it's not a must-have, but yeah, it's pretty cool to have.
2: It, it's something Super that nice. I I intend to put more time into getting up and running and using because it's stuff like it, there's a lot of lot of other things I do. Where having an airbrush would makes would make it much easier. So I'm I'm still not a hundred percent about bought into like priming models using it because um cheap rattle cans are relatively easy to get hold of. Um Me too. and and that's how you when, when you were like, Oh, make sure you prime your model with something good, I was like, mm, I just use uh Halford's car primer, which <laughs> works sometimes mostly. Um but but yeah, so it's it's definitely a I obviously I always say like, always prime your models. Uh people are applying paint to to raw raw metals always slightly concerning to me. But I definitely say that um, pr- like it's it's less a must have and more a must do is when you prime, like do it properly. Because yeah. obviously anything that goes on afterwards, it's going right over the top of that. So if you if it's bubbling or if it's barely tacky on, like, you know, when you put stuff to prime, just leave it until it's until it's good to go. And then if you Let need to cure. reapply it, reapply some. So
3: Yeah, yeah. I use rattle can too. I use rust oleum, even though I have airbrush primer. I just find that the rust oleum uh, primer that I use it sticks better for whatever reason. Maybe I had a bad experience with my styler ends or
1: whatever. But I mean, at least you guys not cleaning your freaking airbrush every time you prime something, so that's a big benefit. But um, I yeah, that's another thing with the must have. I also have rattle cans, not primers, but colors. Tons of colors, which I use for my terrain. Um, because I mostly have FDM printed terrain um, the big stuff and that's the only thing that sticks to it which also makes the FDM the PLA which I use mainly um, paintable with acrylics without it feeling watery and not sticking to it so yeah also is the cheapest stuff I can find on, on on eBay I think it's a local guy five bucks per well, four bucks per red so I have huge like you could think I'm some Artists, but I'm not. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This one. And, and one thing I, I forgot what's called in, in English, but I think it's a pipette. Pipette. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yep. I use this, it's, I don't know, it's like one of, which came with the airbrush set. And I use this on my wet palette when I mix the paints. Like I use one to one ratio, one drop of water to one drop of paint. And it's something, yeah, it's just precise for my type of. For how I mix the paint, so that's something I have always around. Yeah, and one thing also, I could I could probably live without it, but it's pretty neat to have, is a color wheel next to your paint station. Um, I have just printed one out, the Green Stuff one, Green Stuff World one, which is neat. Um, and it's good to have if you're unsure how you wanna... if you wanna make a model pop and have a nice contrast, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and if you have a color printer, there's no reason mm. to not print one out, and do some old-school craft, crafting, cutting out a circle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and uh, about green stuff. Well, uh, green stuff. Yeah, absolutely. a green <laughs> green stuff is such a big. Um, yeah, it's just for miniatures, absolutely nece- necessary, and baking soda for me. I don't do the C A with green stuff one I do the CA and baking soda magic chemical trick which gives it like an extreme hard bond so it will not snap <laughs> still because it's so hard and uh, it's also what I use for basing all my miniatures on my metal washer things yeah baking soda and it makes a nice asphalt texture
3: yes you taught me that one
1: yeah it's true even you can learn something from me
3: yeah absolutely I'm always taking notes when you two are talking yeah
1: and can I add
2: one, one thing <laughs> of course, it's also
1: it's not for painting and building am I what do you want?
2: it's just I one more say, Dan, <laughs> Dan you have to stop looking around your desk to find more things to add to your list it's not on my
3: desk I'm watching I'm like what can I find
1: actually it's two things no but it's a quick one one is the trays obviously the cheap one from Ikea they're like one euro here they're so great if you have one project to keep it on one tray and also to keep the mess in the tray, which is easier for cleaning up if you're doing some building and stuff. So this is really trays are awesome and tray also for the dice are very, if you speak about a hobby is very important and because you can contain your dice rolls in a closed environment and not throwing through your boards and have the destruction like some tornado going through. So that's <laughs> a necessity which you can either buy or build yourself. And I built mine with cheap Ikea, one euro, two euro, um, picture frames, which are, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> not, not, number, there's no number three. No, I think not.
3: Let <laughs> me <you> look. <laughs> I'm
2: just kidding. He, he's not reaching for a drawer, is he?
3: I don't have any drawers. Hands where I can see them. Um, oh, that's one of them. Okay. There's the other one. All right. Uh, thank you to everybody who's uh, submitted a question for us to answer. Um, Like I said, I think we have a bank of another like 10 or so Um, we're going to try and make this a regular segment. So, I mean, if there's something that you uh, want us to touch on or talk about um, just give us a shout on the discord. Um, And again, new to, I think this episode or might've been the last one, but instead of putting the links, we'll put some product links or whatever if we talk about them, but we have our link tree which uh gives you the link to the Facebook, the Instagram and the Discord. Um if you're interested
1: in any of those different things. So that'll be on there. Yeah. And that's our short episode. Oh my god. <laughs> I think that's uh... At least we didn't say it was going to be short this time. Yeah. But I did not anticipate it to be so. <laughs> you got a lot of work to do, buddy. Nah, it's fine. I'm super motivated. That's cool. Listening to, that's one motivator. Listening to old episodes always motivates me. Yeah, Us. Uh. Us,
3: absolutely. Michael, thank you for joining us uh, today. It's been great to have a third voice, and we hope to have you back again soon. Uh, sure, I'm always talking. happy
2: to uh, bundle you in, into in the back of the van and drag you away to my <laughs> recording studio. Yeah. Which looks strangely like yours, but like all the posters are flipped around. That's...
1: Hmm. <laughs> As always... What do we say, Dan? I mean, what?
3: (laughs) What? What? (laughs) Dan, Dan, you forgot the outro. It's like episode seven. We cannot forget the outro this early. No. Michael's like crying because we're so... uh, He can't believe us. Dan, what do we all say?
1: Roll some sixes. Don't move. Don't fucking move. Put your hands in the
4: air. Put your hands in the air. Put them up. Get on your knees. Hey, hey.
0: in case you didn't notice but the episode is over you can stop now and paint some minis I'm not joking it's over finished the next one is coming maybe soonish TM no jokes here you can now do something productive and don't order any minis Ben and me will be watching and Michael as well and oh boy, you don't want to get in this van. Hey, it's finished. You can stop now. Okay, you hear some outtakes because you're so persistent.
3: Um, Should we do a break? Like, Should we, we can just uh, cover. Do, um, do, do you want to
2: do like a, a quick wrap-up on... Uh, sangin section just be like yeah so yeah. T- to conclude what do you think of sangin and can of come out of that and then do a quick break
3: yeah. yeah and then we'll just mention where you can find the beta rules again
2: and yeah. whatnot okay i assumed one of the hosts would do well, the outro I- oh my god oh, all right <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs>